So here's a little peek behind the curtain for everybody to start a Tuesday morning and a good Tuesday morning to you. But uh, Mark Dyke did and I, Mark, did you just cancel the silver alert? I did. We've got we've got our guy back. Whew. Boys, I haven't worked out at that hour in a while. We're getting ready to start the show, Man. and Mark's like, "Hey, Kevin's <laughs> cutting it close here, it's right?" Like three minutes till the show starts. Like, Kev's really taking his time this morning. So, <laughs> just jamming the elevator buttons. Uh huh. All of a sudden, an alarm's going off on the second floor. So, so apologies you... to anyone that is having to deal with that down so there. Did you, so, did you set off the alarm, did you? Well, and then all of a sudden, I'm texting you guys, "Hey, can you come get me from the?" stairs i'm thinking i probably get no service in these stairs <laughs> that's correct we're just up here hanging out <laughs> so i open the door and he's just like sitting there like a defeated man just oh out of breath gosh, man running Dry stairs heaving. is no joke so well the the interesting thing about the stairwell in this building for those that are unfamiliar is once you go through the double doors into the stairs there's no way out right right because so, the stairs do not unlock from the inside and you know i've always thought this in like driving like Ten blocks, does that equal a mile when you drive? Correct. Like, if I go from 28th to 38th Correct. Street, is that really a That's mile? I, the fact that I we just went from, or I just went from the second floor to the sixth floor, I swear there's two sets of stairs, no, four sets of stairs That's between correct. each floor. No, that is correct. That, that is correct. When so you did I just run station. eight flights of stairs instead of four? I think so, yeah. <laughs> well, nonetheless, good morning to you. you did mind, you stay up late last night watching Chiefs? Am and, I uh, carrying this for the next five minutes? Um, I went to bed after the two-point... I'll carry after, this for three hours. Who are we kidding? After the two-point conversion. I was trying to hang in there with my Raiders. The Raiders, Kevin, to you... I thought about this on the way in. The Raiders were your Super Bowl pick, right? Oh, yeah. Much-needed by are they? Are they one and... What's their record? One and four. They have to be, and I know that when you say this, people jump all over you. You're setting yourself up for mockery. I get it. That has to be the best one and four team in a couple of years. Four I mean, their losses by a combined fourteen points. I mean, they're legitimately, obviously, a good team, right? I thought like last night, obviously, when they built that lead to go up seventeen nothing, that was everything. Why I like believed in them. Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, terrific pass rush. I mean, I look at Devontae Adams as one of, if not the best receivers in the league. Now he could be facing a suspension for his post-game antics. Um, I think Josh Jacobs is a really good running back. And what do you think about the two-point conversion? Um, Down one, three minutes and 40 seconds to go. Uh, right after Carr threw just a beautiful ball to Adams to... You know, potentially tie the game at 30. They go for two with 425, I think it was, on the clock. Here's the thing with the two-point conversion. Which I thought they got watching it live. I, I, I also thought they got it. Jacob's knee was down. I mean, it was the right. It was an amazing call by the official. Yeah, watching it live, I thought they got it. But yeah, In hindsight, it was irrelevant either way, right? Because didn't they put themselves... I can't remember how the game ended. Didn't they put themselves in position? Well, well the final score is still 30-29. Right. So, if they get it there, they did get the ball back, is what Well, that's what saying. I mean. Right. But if they would have gotten the two there and stopped Kansas City like they did, obviously Kansas yeah, City then the would game's have had over. a different yeah. offensive mindset. I, I did feel this at the start of the year. And I know the AFC West has not turned into the juggernaut that I certainly thought it would be. I did think we would have a team like the Raiders in that division. One and four, 
could easily be three and two. You know, all these close losses, and at the end of the year, the Raiders, or you know, maybe it's the Broncos. Uh, you know, Broncos look like just a bad football team, though. It's probably gonna be the Raiders, I guess. You're gonna get to the end of the year, and they're gonna be like seven and ten. You're gonna be like, wow, right. how did they go seven and ten? But that's just life in that division. And if you were playing against Travis Kelsey last night in fantasy, good luck. How drunk was that stat line? Did he even get over 30 yards? No. Seven catches, 25 yards before touchdowns. Average 3.6 yards a catch. What did you guys think? And by the way, good Tuesday morning to you. The oxygen mask is waiting for me in the break room. (laughs) I'll make sure to get a whiff of that here in the break. Um, Looks like another nice day here in Indianapolis. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton. Our guest lineup today is kind of an unusual one. Um, World Series manager champion from what 20 is it 2016 2017 yes 2016 don't act like you don't know joe madden is going to join us at nine o'clock he's got a book coming out looking forward to chatting with him he seems like just a fun dude totally i mean he's always like that's that was his you know he seems like one of those guys and you, you get this a lot that their personality is so kind of different or atypical if you will that it really works in the beginning, and they've got about a five-year window with with that franchise to get it done, and then it kind of tunes people out. Does that make sense? Yeah. He is a, um, a good buddy of mine used to work for the Cubs, and he's like, he is an interesting dude. And um, he's got a book coming out, I believe, today, right? Yeah, yep. Is um, Try Not to Suck at Life and Baseball. Yeah, the Book of Joe, yeah. The Try Not to Suck was a phrase that he coined with the Cubs, and uh, most recently with the Angels, of course. So looking forward to that conversation at 9. And then Rodney Thomas II, Colts' seventh-round pick out of Yale, the rookie who has been a big-time bright spot. Um, he will be joining us at 9.30 today. Now I should write this down, uh, even though Mark sent it to us. Joe's at what time? 9. nine. And Rodney is at 9.30? Correct. I always enjoy our listeners getting the rundown on the guests right when Jake gets them as yeah. well. <laughs> This is an excellent way. Like Mark hadn't texted us that mm-hmm. at what? Probably three. It's in the a good way to yesterday. familiarize our our listeners with what's going on, right? That Chris Jones penalty last night, guys. Uh, what are we doing? He yeah. was very um, outspoken about it after the fact. I, it, it does appear as though flag football at the quarterbacks. Well, that's the thing. Is it, it feels Kevin like the quarterback position in the NFL now in terms of the protection of the quarterback? This is going to be. You know, there are over the course of the years, there have been different plays that are analyzed in the National Football League in terms of the way they're officiated and called that get like a second look. And this feels like this is going to be one of them, right? Is this all from the Tua situation? What we saw with Brady yesterday or Sunday? That's a great question. What we saw last night with Mahomes? And I mentioned it during yesterday's show, and this is such a fine line, and I get it. You probably are going to err on the side of caution. But for those that weren't paying attention on Sunday, Ted, Teddy Bridgewater leaves the Dolphins game due to these new concussion rules where if the independent neuro up in the booth deems any sort of gross motor instability, you can be taken out of the game and you can't go back in. And... From the Dolphins' standpoint to the different CBS camera angles, they didn't really witness any of that. And if that happens in a big-time game with a big-time quarterback, you are going to have 
some very interesting discussions, I would think, from that quarterback, from that team, all of those things. And I get it. At the end of the day, you are erring on the side of caution. So maybe it's just tough luck. Welcome to, you know, NFL in 2022. But that's separate from these two penalties. I mean, these penalties, Chris Jones last night, what is he supposed to do? That's basically what he said afterwards, right? It's not like he hit Mahomes low. Or I keep on saying Patrick Mahomes. It's not like he hit Derek Carr low. It's not like he hit him in the head. It's not like he kind of, you know, wrestling moved him to the ground. You know, sometimes you see kind of that pick them up and throw them to the ground. It wasn't that. It was simply a 300-pound dude making a tackle and falling on the guy. You see that play with a running back all four quarters, every single drive, week in and week out. You know, the... The thing that I have always, Kevin, felt difficult about officiating in the NFL, and I'm not even talking necessarily about the pass interference. You know, tar- this targeting was a big thing a couple years ago. Remember that, like when everything was being called as targeted, and I, I think they kind of reevaluated that. But I think sometimes it's difficult to tell, like what the and if a guy, if you lunge at a quarterback and then the quarterback lowers his head, you know, and, and you have no responsibility for the fact that, like, you hit them on the top of the crown or whatever else because of where they they move their head into you and you get called for targeting, I, there are a lot of things. I guess my point being indirectly here, I think sometimes it's difficult to – provide some sort of like a jurisdiction on natural physical instinct does that make sense what i'm saying like how do you tell somebody who is just who lunges in a certain direction like well you've got to redirect the way that you're moving you know what i mean i mean there are certain things that are just instinctive and i get the fact that what they are trying to do is make it so that that instinct is no longer you know to 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 force a guy to have to think about it enough where it's no longer instinctive to him. I get that, but I just think it's a difficult thing. I just I, don't think if you, like the Tom Brady one, like if he doesn't wrap him, Tom Brady could easily escape sure, and make right. a play. It's like I don't and you're not putting your weight on someone, you're just, you know, tackling him and there was a similar play that Mahomes took and no penalty, so it's just really bizarre. I would love to see someone in the league office explain to us what Chris Jones should have done there. I think Chris Jones would like that. You know, how is he supposed to, to your point, Jake, reposition his body, have his weight not fall on Derek Carr? It is football. Float, obviously. I mean, it's uh, it's laughable. And these are huge penalties. This from Kansas City, Steve. Hey, as it goes with Chief Raiders, sometimes you just got to be lucky. Go Chiefs. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, how about the final play? Did you see what happened on the final play? No. So the Raiders are trying to put themselves in position that, you know, just get within field goal range. Derek Carr drops back. He threw a really nice ball, and it sails 20 yards over everybody. Oh, is that like, Renfro and Adams running into each other? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like the quintessential. It looked like a, a blooper reel of the, you know, the 82 Cubs out in the outfield. We hinted at this yesterday, and it was made official yesterday. Matt Rule gets fired. Seven-year, $62 million contract is what Matt Rule signed at the start of the 2020 season. He goes 11-27 and in his three years with Carolina. 
Steve Wilkes will now be the interim head coach, and it looks like P.J. Walker might be the starter this week. Some banged-up uh, quarterbacks in Carolina. Uh, I saw those in Vegas have Nebraska as the favorite to land Matt Rule. Now, that that's interesting because there are certain guys, Kevin, that are just better college coaches. Matt Rule clearly, as a college coach, was the guy. I mean, there were a lot of people that were very high on him, right? He didn't just forget how to coach. You know, listen, am I an expert on the Carolina Panthers? Not at all. But it doesn't seem as though they're overloaded with talent, right? I was talking to a Colts area scout a few years ago. This is kind of right when Rule interviewed for the Indy job. And at that point, he was still early in his tenure at Baylor. And it was like, what? And this is a guy that travels, you know, boots on the ground to college campuses all across the U.S. each fall. And he was like, what Matt Rule did at Temple and what Matt Rule did at Baylor is absolutely incredible. Like Temple and Baylor. I don't think anyone call those football hotbeds by any means. I get the Baylors in the state of Texas, but still. And what he was able to turn around in both of those programs clearly caught the eye of, I, I don't think it was just just the Colts or just Carolina that had some Matt Rule interest. I think there was a little bit more around the NFL. So I'll be curious to see, you know, from a Nebraska standpoint, from an Auburn standpoint, does Wisconsin try to get into the fray with him? Uh, Matt Rule in the Big Ten West would be interesting. You know, Nebraska, I mean, Urban Meyer has been rumored for Nebraska. Has that now fizzled out? You would think that if that, if there was smoke to that, or if there was fire to that smoke, we'd know it by now, wouldn't we? I mean, we'd have to, right? Yeah, you would, um, you would think so. Right now, Cliff Kingsbury is the next favorite to be fired from an NFL head coaching standpoint. Nathaniel Hackett just behind him. Now, Cliff Kingsbury, like two years ago, was the darling of the NFL, wasn't he? He was the genius of the NFL. So, I mean. Seems like him and Kyler Murray are getting into it every game. Or there's just some general disagreement with where I think Arizona disappointing start to the season um, for them. By the way, some dude in our fantasy league had 210 points this week. That was against me. <laughs> he just he he had just hold on. stomped on me. He had Leonard Fournette. He had Kelsey last night. I saw he had him. Leonard Fournette, Travis Kelsey, uh, Eckler, and Josh Allen. That's the guy that's been trading his entire team. Like he, he'll he'll send a trade proposal for like seven players for one. It's like he scored yeah. like at least 150. I feel like in all the week he messaged me a few weeks ago and was like, "Congrats on scoring like 170." So far, I was the only one to reach those marks through the first few weeks of the year. I'm like, oh, good to see a lot of humility. Yeah, he's, 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 and he changes his team name every week, which seems a bit much. Can we kick him out <laughs> after he pasted you? Is that part of you? Or do we have that type of poll, Mark? I mean, there should be, there, in a fantasy football league, there should be a rule like, listen, if you're clearly like the one person spending eight hours a day on your fantasy team, you need to, you need to get out of the league. You're taking this way too, it's called fantasy, it's not called reality. Taking it way too seriously, Somebody right? Take, some people take their fantasies very seriously. Easy now. I'm just saying. <laughs> Jake, I'm curious. Um, okay. What the Colts did last Thursday night with that offensive line was one of the wilder things I've seen an NFL team do entering a game. I'm curious if, like, that's a message to the locker room of everybody watch your backs. Or is that more of a message of 
that is the clear position group that's holding us back right now. We need to do something drastic. I, I think the latter. I mean, I, I like what you're thinking there, but I, I think the latter. I mean, I guess in this building it could be, are the elevators really broken or were they sending you a message? Oh, God. <laughs> well, my fob did work from the garage in. Why are you going there? <laughs> By the way, we had a training yesterday. And and then I'll get to your point there. We had a training yesterday, which was good, right? I mean, obviously, we're under a new company, and so there's a lot of different things. And at the beginning, everybody had to – there was a, a part of it where you had to say your names. And there was uh, a woman there from the legal department that was oh, that was doing the training. And when I said my name, she said, oh, now that name I know. Oh. <laughs> well, <What>? Okay. <laughs> So I went up afterwards. And oh, was this like, is awkward. <laughs> should we disassociate ourselves? Maybe we should I, kick Jake out of the I walked league. up and I'm like, uh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be paranoid here, but um, you, you said you're aware of my name. Is there something I should know about? And she said, oh, no, no, no. It was just the fact that if you remember in our last training, there was question whether you go by your birth name or your nickname. And I'm like, oh, okay. That, that I feel better uh, That about. sounds like code. Um, that's right. No, in terms of the line, I, I, I like what you're thinking there in terms of, hey, maybe this was a message being sent. But, Kevin, I don't think you mess with the roster to send messages, so to speak. And I don't mean that you're saying that. Right, but, right. And, and, um, but I certainly think it does send a message of they're aware of the, – they are clearly aware of the fact there's an issue, right? And to be fair, Jake, I don't really know where I'm going with that. It's just something that kind of popped in my head. Um, I did mention this a little bit exiting Thursday night. The Colts now are starting to get into a situation where the injury list is growing a bit. Now, outside of Quiddy Pay, I don't know if really any of this stuff is going to be – you know, super multi-week, but, you know, right now it's Shaquille Leonard's dealing with a couple things, you know, Jonathan Taylor's ankle, Naheem Hines had the concussion, Ryan Kelly exited with a hip on Thursday night, you didn't have Tyquan Lewis due to concussion, Julian Blackman's missed a few weeks for an ankle, you start to add some of that up, and, you know, we haven't talked about him in about a month, but do you need to do something with Sam Ellinger here? Is he a luxury item? Boy, that's a really good... Do you look at your offensive line and you think, oh my gosh, that offensive line is breaking down like none other. Uh, if Matt Ryan gets hurt, I'd rather have Sam Ellinger in there than Nick Foles. You, you know that I'm the king of bad analogies, right? I don't think they all are bad, not to feed the ego, but... Okay. I thought the McLaren one was pretty good a few weeks ago. Thank you. Um a, a year ago or so, I did, I can't, I, I mean, what I did for them is irrelevant, but I was given three gift cards. Visa gift cards are $25 each. So $75 in cash. It was one of those, like, you know, if you do this, you get a gift card, whatever. But I have these three gift cards that I really was free money. For whatever reason, Kevin... All three of them are still sitting in the same places when I received them because someday I'm going to really need them. Someday gas is going to be $17 a gallon, and I'm going to actually have these three gift cards that are going to buy me a half a tank of gas. Oh, it could, I'm, could be nearing that. <laughs> so I have these three gift cards that I just refuse to spend because I'm like, now nah, I'm going to hold on to those because they're going to be, uh, uh, they're, th the day is going to come where I'm going to be so thankful that I have those. And so I cannot spend them like it. And those gift cards are Sam Ellinger. Uh, someday we're going to need him. 
Well, but they're just sitting there right there. I, I, I know, but maybe maybe you should, like, do something with those. No, 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 no. No, no, I'm going to need them someday. Someday I'm going to have to break the glass in case of emergency, and, and I need, and I am going to be so thankful that I held on to those gift cards. Well, it's that been was like, another random metaphor <laughs> by Jake Query. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> what was that, Mark? So something, I, new, something new we worked on in the workshop. So, I, you know, a year and a half now I've had. Did Jake cut that up? I wish. For for a year and a half, I've had these gift cards, and I just refuse to spend them because they're they're of value to me. That someday they're going to be, I'm going to be so smart that I still have them, and that's what Sam Ellinger is to the Colts, right? Like, th- there's not really a use for him right now, but there's going to be someday, and so they have to make sure that they're keeping him there. I don't know if this is the proper way to expand on that analogy, Jake, but. I would offer that those gift cards are a little bit rare compared to other. Like, they're not just normal gift cards. Like, you said Visa, basically money that right. can be used anywhere. What I'm getting at is Ellinger plays the most important position in sports. So, the fact that he is luxury, he has a gift card lying around, he still plays that position to where I totally understand the Colts thinking and wanting to try and keep him around because you never know. I mean, look at Carolina right now. They're all, P.J. Walker would have been, what, their fourth quarterback? Exiting the preseason, and now he's starting here in week six. You just never know when you're going to have to reach that deep into your depth chart, and it's too important of a position not to have some sort of insurance, even though it's that far down on the depth chart. Um, I do want to get into a little bit of Pacers today as well. I, I don't know how they, like... And I think you've hinted at this, Jake. Like, how do they quietly tank? <laughs> I mean, well, they don't. I mean, they're they're being kind of out front about it. But to your point, I, I think... Like, you're not going to bench Tyrese Halliburton, right? Right. We talked about this yesterday uh, with a, a group of our coworkers. I was having a conversation about this. I, they may be just young and talented enough to not. And that's really kind of their challenge is the fact that if they, meaning the Pacers, are wanting to try to win 25-game max in order to put yourself back in. Listen, this is the game plan, I'm telling you. The Pacers this year, they are very young, and they have very bright young talent that I think people, that they are hoping people get on board with. The Pacers have basically said, here's another one of my bad metaphors, but the Pacers have said, Listen, we are rebuilding the house. So we're, we're starting literally at the foundation here. And every day when you drive home and you pass the house and you're seeing the, the foundation one day and then the next day you're like, oh, they've got the beams up. They're inviting people to come and get on board and be part of this house build from the get-go. That's what they're doing. They are readily admitting that they have completely renovated the house. And... They're making no bones about it, Kevin. And part of that rebuild is getting into the lottery one more time. I say one more. It's not like they've been they've spent ten years in the lottery, but one more year of a high draft pick. And of course, you have a couple of them via trades. There is no doubt that that's what they're doing, and they're trying to make that draft pick as valuable as possible. But because they have been able to accumulate good young players as part of this. Um, revamp of the house, they may 
accidentally win 30 games and, and back their way out of like the top four into like the seven to eight category in terms of where they're drafting again, which is it worked out okay because you got Benedict Matherin. You know, obviously trading away Turner and Heald would fall into that category of, you know, that is a form of tanking. But again, this is Tyrese Halliburton's third year. It's Benedict Matherin's rookie season. You need to play them. You need to play them a lot. And you need to play them at the end of games to try and develop them and get them used to those sorts of situations. So I just don't think it can be like a full-on 76ers-like process tank or even what the Pacers were doing late last season when their best players were the aging veterans and you just sat them largely due to, you know, some nicks and bruises on that front. Uh, Is Carson Wentz nearing a benching? We'll talk more about that. Certainly not a ringing endorsement from his head coach yesterday, and that has a lot of Colts' attention on it. I'll try to explain the the ramifications behind that. Again, the Colts will get a second-round pick from Washington if Wentz plays at least 70% of the snaps. That changes to a third-round pick if he does not reach that 70% threshold. Um, I think there's a lot of implications on that when you take a closer look at next April's draft. Again, Joe Madden joined us at 9 o'clock. Rodney Thomas the second at 9.30. Oxygen mask coming up for me. Kevin and Quarry here <laughs> on a Tuesday. The Morning Checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. It's time for the divisional series in the AL and the NL. Rays and Guardians. Mariners, or excuse me, Guardians and Yankees, I should say. Mariners and Astros. Phillies and Braves. Padres and Dodgers. The favorite right now to win the World Series would be the Dodgers, followed by the Astros, the Braves and Yankees just behind that i'm still on the mariners bandwagon have you two decided you know i'm gonna go with now let me ask you what was the swoosh for mark i just a, a preemptive swoosh just to get it moving uh, uh, the cubs aren't playing mark's just gonna move on yeah are, are we going with the team that when you say the bandwagon here and asking us for a team are we going with the team that we are thinking will win or are we just simply picking a team to root for well, let's go root Sentimental. Giving ourselves a rooting interest. I had before me all of the matchups, but now I can't find you them. just said it. I, I understand, but I was looking for the sheet. I wanted the start times. I wanted to give more information. Get for your our... sheet together. <laughs> Thank uh, you. 107, that will be the Phillies and the Braves. 337 will be the Mariners and the Astros. 737, as expected, the Guardians and the Yankees. And then to close out the night, the West Coast, the Padres and the Dodgers at 9.37. Now, here's the thing. I I think it would be cool. I I, I grew up, not grew up, actually, as an adult. I, there is no athlete that I respected more and more loved than Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn, who lived in Fishers, by the way. Um, so for the Padres, I, I would love to see it just because I loved Tony Gwynn. He, he, he represents everything that professional sports should be. But the Dodgers are kind of cool, like I and I know that that's a huge rivalry. So it's you can't really say that you're rooting for the Padres if you kind of like the Dodgers. So I have to recuse myself from that matchup. Uh, I will go with the team that I'm just going to root for and just 100 percent admit that I'm on their bandwagon. I will go with the Cleveland Guardians. Okay, 
Mark? I think, I think you stole mine right there. You I guys like the both Guardians going too. Guardians? I like the Padres a lot, but I don't know if they're going to get past the Dodgers. But I do always like I do like the, what the Padres have Surprise done. Surprise! you guys aren't jumping on the Mariners with me. Well, I mean, you already like, took the Mariners. I, well, yeah. Mark's jumping on the view. I was talking to someone, and they, they're rooting for the Astros. Like, I like the Mariners, but I think they're a year or two away. They've got some nice young pieces, but they've got to give them another season or Best so. Best of five on those matchups. I already did the swoop. There it is again. I guess you did. Uh, the line is rising for Sunday. I think it started around minus one for the Colts. Last I saw, two and a half. If you look at the Colts and Jags in this recent history, the Colts have done very well at home against Jacksonville. They have not lost to the Jags in the Frank Reich era in games played at Lucas Oil Stadium. The last two meetings, though, both in Jacksonville, have been absolutely dominated by the Jags. There's no way Jacksonville wins that game, right? Jake, We've I said that before. We've said that before. And it's, it's it's here. There's no way Jacksonville wins that game. Colts have been favored in the last four AFC South meetings, and they've been down 17 points in each of the last four divisional games and have not won any of them. Yeah, I don't know how you can say that given their track record. I, know. I, 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 I just can't go there, Jake. And Trevor Lawrence has looked like a below-average NFL quarterback against every team not named the Colts. And he's looked like Peyton Manning against the Colts, right? Right. Uh, here was Frank Reich yesterday on 18 total, uh, I guess not turnovers, but either fumbles or interceptions so far for Matt Ryan through five games. Obviously, the number one thing is the turnovers. We have to get that cleaned up. Again, some of those are on him, but they're not all on him. But that that's the biggest thing. I think in other ways, you look at um, certain things in the past game. He, he's made three or four. He made three or four throws in that last game that were elite. Um, that if you really look at the tight copy and you see a couple of the throws that he made, it, it, they're unreal throws. There's no way that Jacksonville is going to win on Sunday, right? <laughs> oh my God. Man, this is early Kiss in the death. week to Jake be clear. No, somebody already asked me. They said, hey, Jake, do you happen to have the audio from when Kevin said this is the healthiest the Colts have ever been? He jinxed them. They were incredibly healthy through the first four weeks of the season. I didn't act like they're going to be healthy come October, and for the most part, they they are mm-hmm. still pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. You want to look around the league? You want to see what the Chargers look like right now? It's not anything you want to be dealing with. Pacers preseason home openers tomorrow nights again. Aaron Neesmith dealing with a foot injury, um, so that is something to keep an eye on. And we're hoping to have Rick Carlisle on the show next week as the Pacers get their season underway. Three straight home games to begin the year. Uh, next Wednesday night is their home opener. We come back here on Kevin and Query. Um, some Carson Wentz implications for the Colts. Ron Rivera certainly not a ringing endorsement for his quarterback yesterday. And this is certainly something to monitor for the Colts as they are. Very interesting comments. They are curious what that draft capital will look like for them. Come April. Uh, nice Tuesday morning here in Indianapolis. Kevin Corey, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. 16 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. Jake Corey along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well on a Tuesday. Good morning to you. Uh, Kevin, interesting comments from Washington about their quarterback situation and one that probably is going to sound familiar to people around here, but before they gloat over the fact of we were right, uh, it could have some negative impact on the Colts, correct? Yeah, and just to reiterate, with that trade for Carson Wentz, um, the Colts still have one piece of that trade uh, to be decided. It's either going to be a second or third round pick from Washington. If Carson Wentz plays 70% of the snaps, so that's right around 
It's like 12 or 13 games. Um, so far, he's played every snap for them. That would be a second-round pick coming to Indianapolis. If he does not play 70%, that would be a third-round pick. Um, and just to explain a little bit of the implications on that, we're going to play some Ron Rivera audio here in a second, which is not a ringing endorsement for his quarterback situation. I also think there's a lot of context within the answer to the question that honestly is a bit applicable to the Colts situation at quarterback, and we'll, we'll play that audio here in just a minute. But right now, if the Colts were to get the Washington second-round pick, that would be number 34 overall. Ironically, that's the spot you had when you took Michael Pittman. Um, if it was the third-round pick of Washington, that would be number 66 overall and if you played around kind of with the trade machines for the draft then okay if the Colts need to move up to get a quarterback what's the difference in that I mean you're looking at the difference in about a handful of spots based on the second round pick from Washington versus the third rounder so if the Colts took their first round pick which right now I think is at 18 and they want to do package additional picks to try and move up next April for a quarterback, the difference between having 34 overall attached to that trade and 66 overall attached to that trade would be the difference, Jake, in drafting 8th versus, like, 13th. Which, I mean, that's notable. I mean, that's five spots. And in a quarterback, I think there is some signs that this is a much deeper quarterback draft than last year, but there's also some quarterback needy teams in the top 10. I do think this is something to really monitor, and the Rivera comments yesterday, I think, adds to that. Here are, do we have, Mark, the audio? Ron Rivera was asked, keep in mind, Carson Wentz is their signal caller. Some interesting comments. Here we go. Why do you think the teams in the division are farther ahead at this point? Quarterback. The truth is that this is a quarterback-driven league. And if you look at the teams that have been able to sustain success, they've been able to build it around a specific quarterback. Now, what's interesting is in the division that they, the commanders find themselves. So the NFC East, what he is saying there, if you were to decipher it, we, the Washington commanders, are behind in our division because we are not getting the play at quarterback that the New York Giants are getting in Daniel Jones, who is in probably his last bit of the rope before they decide whether or not he is indeed the guy. The Dallas Cowboys, whose franchise quarterback has been hurt for the majority of this season, and the Philadelphia Eagles with a guy that they selected over the guy that Washington is using as their quarterback. None of those are players that are that were ever like, holy cow, wow me moment from the get-go. This is the guy. I mean, Dak Prescott might be, but he's been hurt, right? So it's not like he's saying that we are lagging behind at the quarterback position and he is in the AFC West where you have Herbert, Mahomes, Derek Carr, and Russell Wilson. You could make the argument that the league and, or the division in which Washington plays has, in totality, the most uncertainty at quarterback for the other franchises. Uh, Jalen Hurts clearly is a very good player. 
Daniel Jones looks to be an adequate player. And Dallas has stability at quarterback, but not necessarily in terms of who it's going to be week to week. There was a little bit more context from Ron Rivera on that. I do want to play this additionally to what you just heard. Chose the quarterback here, though. So do you have any regrets about that or how do you? No, I got no regrets about their quarterback. I think our quarterback has done some good things. There's been a couple of games that he struggled. Um, but you look at his numbers from yesterday, and you would say, okay, look at his numbers he's had throughout the year. There was a time he was, you know, um, very solid. And then, um, un- you know, we had the unfortunate Philadelphia game, and he struggled a little bit in the Dallas game. But the way he performed yesterday, it just shows you what he's capable of. And, you know, we chose him because we believe him. We chose him because we looked at what we felt were, were, were things that pointed towards him. You're on. I think something to keep in mind with this win situation is, first off, he did show up on the injury report yesterday. They play on Thursday night against Chicago with a right shoulder injury. So you got to monitor his health, not just him getting outright benched. I mean, if all of a sudden he gets hurt, that would, you know, be a third round pick instead of a second round pick. I think what Washington has to decide, and part of this is a bit laughable, but like, when do they get to a point where they're like, guys, the Eagles and the Colts were right. Why did we do this? Right. And when are they totally. going to cut their losses? And does it come a point within that division where you have the 5-0 and Eagles, the 4-1 and Cowboys, the 4-1 and Giants, and the 1-4 and Commanders, if they're eliminated by, like, Thanksgiving, do they sit there and say, this might be an ownership thing, which I know is a bit laughable considering the franchise, but does ownership say, play Sam Howe? Play the rookie that you drafted out of North Carolina – for the final month plus of the season, let's see what you have. And does that all of a sudden say we need to start thinking about the future? We want to keep, or maybe we don't, you know, want to give up, you know, that magnitude of a pick in that situation. And they just say enough is enough. Philly and Indianapolis were were exactly right in how they viewed Carson Wentz. Okay. I, I think those are some things to watch. Two things here, real quick, Kevin. Okay. Now I want to do this rapid fire. I'm going to name a franchise, and you tell me that in this upcoming draft, if you believe that quarterback is going to be a priority for them. You ready? Sure. Washington. Yeah. Chicago. Say no. Jacksonville. No. We're, we're doing the whole team, the whole league here, so we're quick. Okay. Uh, San Francisco. No. Atlanta. Yes. New England. No. Cleveland. No. Jets. No. Packers. No. Vikings. I don't think so. Dolphins. No. Bengals. No. Saints. Yes. Ravens. No. Giants. Yes. Bucks. I'll say no. Kyle Trask, they draft them. Steelers. No. Panthers. Yes. Rams. No. Cardinals. No. Seahawks. Yes. Bills. No. Chiefs. No. Cowboys. No. Eagles. No. Chargers. No. Broncos. No. Okay. So that means there are one, two, three, four, five, six teams, yeah, that are looking I for a throw, quarterback. Did you mention Houston? I definitely throw Houston. Oh, I'm there. sorry. Detroit. Okay. Detroit. Detroit and Houston. Yeah. I mean, those, you could argue those would be the top two teams. And, and Raiders and Titans probably as well, right? Well, well no, Titans. I forgot they had yeah. Willis. Yeah. So 10 teams. Yeah. So you're in a, a pretty thick hopper there, to, despite how deep the quarterback draft might be so you want to be in the top five of that group probably 
some of those teams, you know, New York is likely not going to be in that mix this year. New Orleans may find some competency and, you know, so you're you're kind of in the in the middle of that. And several of those teams have additional draft picks early in the draft. Now, that you need to keep an eye on. Like the Colts aren't in a great draft capital situation. They could, you know, depending on if this pick gets to be a second rounder, that's obviously really good for the Colts. But if I'm not mistaken, a few of those teams on that list have two first round picks. Now, here's the other thing that I will admit to, and and I'm going to apologize to people. I will apologize to them because as a broadcaster and as a sports radio host, it is our job to be able to articulate our thoughts on things and it is our job to be able to illustrate for people and paint a picture that people can see it and immediately we are not supposed to be Rembrandt like we're not supposed to you're not supposed to have to look at a painting and and sit there and interpret it we are supposed to be like very direct I know exactly what that is we're supposed to be able to, to, to immediately tell you what we think when it comes to Carson Wentz there's something about him as a quarterback that I don't trust or like and I can't pinpoint what it is I don't know if it's just the power of suggestion. I, I I don't know. I think he probably is a really nice guy. As a matter of fact, I know people that – I think he still has a home here. And I know people that live in his neighborhood that see him on the golf course and their kids have, like, run into him in public that said he's a super nice fellow. I, I don't have any reason to believe he's not. There's just something about him that rubs me the wrong way. And I, and I don't know if it's the power of suggestion of when he came here from Philadelphia, it was, you know, this guy's a pain. I don't know. I can't pinpoint it. There's just something about him. Well, you and you and Jim Irsay should meet for dinner. Cause well, you, you know, two, there's what, my what, quarterback. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Colts commanders to end the month here at Lucas Oil Stadium. We'll see if Carson Wentz is still under center when that one takes place. Tart Glenn Ring of Honor game as well all right uh, eight o'clock hour coming up again joe madden is going to join us at nine o'clock the former cubs manager he's got a book coming out today so we'll uh really looking forward to that conversation rodney thomas the second colt to rookie safety around 9 30 we'll continue some colts conversation here coming up and get into the pacers as well if you guys want to join the conversation not only at kbo and 1070 on twitter at jake query on twitter but 317-239-1070 nice tuesday morning here in indy Colts need that second round pick. Sorry, Mark Dykton. Colts fans, Commanders fans, and Wentz fans Thursday night against the Bears. That's okay. That's okay. By the way, disappointed. Some of the matchups upcoming this week. Now, who's your dream broadcast team, Kevin, that you always talk about? Spiro Didas, I think, right? <laughs> yeah. They've got to be coming to Lucas Oil, right? Well, here's the thing. So, listen to some of these matchups. Or that be Tom McCarthy and Tiki Barber. If you're going to list, like, the biggest uh, matchups of the week, you've got on by Detroit, Houston, the Raiders, and Titans. The two of the worst teams automatically are out, right? terms of matchups now new england at cleveland is that overly exciting to you yeah no okay jacoby and belichick teaming up okay um vikings and dolphins feels like uh like a 1975 super bowl of some sort but the two the commanders and bears on thursday night that feels like we've reverted back to the days where the NFL network just felt like they had to put somebody on. You know what I mean? And then the Colts and Jaguars, which there's no way the Jaguars win that game. 
on Sunday. Oh that has to be if you're the, if we're the two guys doing morning radio in Norfolk this morning, we're looking at the roster going, we don't want the Jags Colts game on, right? I mean, that, that has to be the, the weakest matchup, right? Now, you do have the biggest regular season game of the year, right? The Bills at Chiefs? That's going to be a 425 game. That's a big one, right? That was a standalone. That was huge in the scheduling process back in May. I can't believe they didn't, though, slide that into Monday night over Chargers-Broncos. So I think each network can request one game above the rest. I mean, Monday Night Football's got to be thinking, wait a minute, the Broncos? We're going to put them Where, on primetime again? Is Chiefs, Bills, and Arrowhead again? Yeah. Yes. I swear they've played seven straight times in Kansas City. Sure seems that way. Yeah, they do seem to get – the Chiefs seem to get a lot of home games. They get the same amount as everybody else. I, I feel realize. like the Broncos are going to be one of those teams looking back. We're like, yeah, they had way too many primetime games. A- Aaron says Andrew Catalan, James Lofton for Jags Colts. Does that mean Michael Grady on the sidelines? Isn't he a part of that crew? Yeah, because he was there for the – they did uh, – who was it? The, they were the Bears and the Texans. He was on the sidelines for that one. Does he do every – I, he do I every don't know week? if he's still doing it with the Timberwolves starting. I mean, the Timberwolves season. That's he was, true. They could be getting underway here right. I forgot shortly. he's doing Timberwolves. Uh, this one from Jason, and, and this kind of goes off our Ryan Kelly-Danny Pinter discussion from yesterday. I think the coaching staff needs to take a long, hard look at that debate. Jason goes, is it a no-brainer that Zaire Franklin comes out of the lineup when Shaquille Leonard returns, or is it now a conversation? He seems to be outplaying Bobby Bobby O'Karake in recent weeks. Um, We saw against Tennessee, it was O'Karake who had his snaps limited when Leonard was out there for a few series. I think that's a very, very real discussion the Colts need to have. Now, I do think what sep- what separates Leonard from the others, when healthy, which that is a huge, huge if, is the playmaking. I mean, we haven't seen Okereke and Frank- Franklin take away the ball. I think both of them have played pretty well. But again, the turnover numbers are not there for them. But that's going to be a really interesting thing to watch. Whenever Leonard does get healthy, and remember, he broke his nose, on that concussion, um, do you just automatically insert him back in there? I don't think you do. Because I think Franklin and, and, and O'Karake have given you pretty good minutes. Again, not the turnovers that you would like to see, and that's obviously something Leonard, when healthy, can bring to the table. Um, but that I think that with Ryan Kelly, Jake, I think both of those are just not slam dunks. Here you go. You're playing every single snap. I can't recall... Kevin, so you feel free to um, correct me here. I can't recall. Is Shaquille Leonard on second contract? He he yep. had a big uh-huh. deal, right? Yeah. Just before last year, right? Right around $100 million. What percent, without him on the field, and I know that, listen, his ability to create turnovers is league-wide unprecedented. Oh, I've said it's a Hall of Fame level, I, but... Is he is he back there? That's the question. Now, the other question is this. If Shaquille Leonard is not on the field, the combo of Zaire Franklin and Bobby Okereke fill his shoes to what percent? You get 80% the same production, 90% the same production, 50% the same production, 0%. What would you put it? Yeah, I would say outside of the turnovers, it's probably in the 80 to 90 range, okay. if not even a little higher. Now, and it costs you what percent? If you take 
Shaquille Leonard's contract right. off the books. Yeah, I mean Leonard's or uh, Franklin just signed. I think it was three year, twelve million. Okay. So yeah, four million annually versus twenty million a- annually, something like that. So for twenty percent the cost, you're getting eighty percent the production. It all comes down to that turnover element, and that's that is it. And that's where you say it's almost zero, right? Because there is no one that can do that. I understood. And I think we saw, and again, it was just like one play, but I think we saw against the Titans, there were some plays in pass coverage where Leonard wasn't at the level that you're used to being at. He looked to me, Kevin, when when Shaquille Leonard was on the field in the Titans game before his injury, he looked to me like a guy avoiding contact. He looked to me like a guy that, that was not himself. Totally agree. He looked a guy that hadn't played in a year. That's exactly what he looked like to me. And I think, again, that is a question that this staff has got to ask themselves. A normal Leonard? Yes, you would want him out there without question. But is he there? It was just a couple series against Tennessee, but I didn't see it. And so I think that is something the staff will have to discuss coming up. Uh, David wanted to chat a little Sam Ellinger. David, good morning. Hey, guys. Thank you. Hey, um, I've been watching the Colts for a long time, over 30-plus years. And we had some excitement with Peyton Manning. And um, when do we start bringing Sam Mellinger in, least dressing? Because ours, it's boring, dude. It's boring as heck. It's like watching paint dry, watching the Colts play. And the quarterback back there, Matt Ryan, Matty Ice, is a statue back there. He can run a little bit. But when do we start rolling out, doing some bootlegs and stuff with Sam Mellinger, at least bringing him in, at least fourth quarter to what we have? David, can I ask a couple of questions before we get to your, your answer on Ellinger? Yes, sir. You, you just you sound like a fun guy. Have you called the program before? <laughs> yeah. You have? Okay. Yeah. Uh, have yeah. I invited you to my PBR party? No, not yet. Do you, do you want to come and just sit around and drink PBRs with me? Sure. Okay. Uh, and you do you live on what side of town, David? I live in uh, down by Brazil, Indiana, Terre Haute, where we used to have the um, – where Peyton Manning used to come down for the uh, – um, Preseason, not preseason. Yeah, for training camp. Yeah, Rose Rose Holman. Holman. Uh, Now, David, the other thing I wanted to ask is what line of work you're in, because it sounds to me like you're kind of like Matt Foley, and you've been up since five drinking coffee. Is that right? I've been. uh, I'm a truck driver, and I've been up since three o'clock. I've been waiting for you guys to come on, and uh, (laughs) well, then I go to then at noon I go to the Pat McAfee show. Okay. Fair enough. Well, I'll Thank tell you, you what. Thank you for listening, David. It drive, means a lot. Drive safe, David. We appreciate it. Uh, as for Ellinger, listen, I think David touched on something there, Kevin, that a lot of people, a lot of people feel, and that is that the Colts are boring. Now, does are they in the business of going out and just trying to be exciting as opposed to winning games right now? Not, They're not in that part yet. But I think it's interesting when he says they're boring. Well, the numbers are back that up. I mean, seven straight games of 20 points or less. It's the longest such streak for this franchise since 93. Uh, that is inexcusable. It's inexcusable when your head coach is offensive-minded, um, and it's a, a big, big problem right now. I do think the entertainment factor is something that a lot of fans are questioning. Um, to the Ellinger point, I, I'm just curious to see what if they do anything. Again, I go back Short to Short yardage I- packages, is that something you, you put in there for them? I mean, I am a, I'm such a big believer in that. If your starter gets hurt and your trajectory of the season is just right around 500, I want to play the young guy. Like, I, I would skip over Nick Foles and play Ellinger. Right. And, and I say that not thinking that Ellinger is the next Tom Brady. No, I, I don't think that. But play the young QB on the roster. It's similar to the Matt Pryor, Bernard Ryman you thing. Know, do you know what If they're both going to look average, 
play the rookie. Do you know what quarterback I see Ellinger's ceiling being? Like the guy that if Ellinger were given snaps and opportunity, the quarterback that he could have the career of. Everybody says, you know, oh, you know, the, the Colts need to give Ellinger a try because he could be the next Tom Brady. I, I get that. Everybody's looking for the next Tom Brady. To me, when I look at Sam Ellinger and I look at the way he plays, kind of the moxie with which he carries himself, the the leadership about him, the on-field intelligence, the guy that, that I look at and I say, okay, if Sam Ellinger, if you gave him someone's career and he would be very, I would think, pleased by this, Kevin, try not to laugh at me here, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I don't think he's the thrower that Fitzpatrick. That's probably true in been. terms of the. the I, I'm trying to think of, but just in terms of a guy that I'm trying to think has of a like longish term backup that is a little bit more escapability guy, unless you know I'm going to check it down like none other and I mean, keep things steady that way. That's probably fair. I mean, Fitzpatrick definitely has probably the stronger like air it out arm. But he's just one of those guys that, like, he has about him this – Fitzpatrick had about him as a player this aura that each time he stepped on the field exceeded what you expected out of this guy as a quarterback. Right. I do think Ellinger had – and I know it's a, just a layup sort of cliche, but, Jake, I do f- – there is a Friday Night Lights feel when Sam Ellinger is under center. If you watch Texas, I think you certainly fell that. And right. Obviously, that's pretty obvious. But I even think in the – you know glimpses I've seen in training camp where that unit has moved the ball really well. It's like they they rally around him. How about Josh McCown? You're talking about like guys that like twelve year backups that just you're like that's where that guy is. He's still around, right? Wasn't he during the COVID year like on the practice squad but at home? Like he never showed up, but in case <laughs> the Texans be, needed him, would that be like, awesome? I mean, Scotty, said, Scotty says, "What about Doug Flutie?" Yeah, that's not bad. You know, Flutie started how many games? I, I don't know if we're ever going to get there to Ellinger. Flutie's not bad. One thing I want to note on the offensive line, and I know we talked a little bit about it yesterday, in trying to see some of this bubbling in recent years, they might not have missed a ton of games. These guys have missed some games. But I think what we're starting to see with the big three on the O-line, and that would be Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith, and I call them the big three based off contractually, we're starting to see injuries. Ryan Kelly, a lot of different injuries. I think we forget that Quentin Nelson had three surgeries last year. That's a lot. Braden Smith, his first real missed action of his career due to injury last season. So I think to try and put a little bit more explanation by, okay, why is the group struggled? Why is it regressed? We probably need to acknowledge that of just deterioration might be too harsh of a word, but I think some injuries are just starting to become a little bit more routine and maybe the offseason training is a little bit more rehab-based and not enough like preparing for the actual season-based. And I think that's a little bit of explanation for why those three, along with the obvious Danny Pinter, Matt Pryor, some of those other names, why they haven't played at the level that you would think they would. Uh, hey, Jake, with Tarek Glenn Ring of Honor game coming up, you think there's any chance I could talk to him about maybe doing six to ten games this year? <laughs> <laughs> you miss those false starts, don't you? Look, and I say that 
as a compliment to Tarek Glenn because, first off, the fact that Tarek Glenn could get false starts was amazing. The movement that he had at his size, that guy was so good, man. Dancing bear over there. I'm t- Tarek Glenn, to me, should be actually more considered as a Hall of Fame level player. And I know that sounds crazy. I think that he is one of the most underappreciated. Tarek Glenn and Chris Hinton are probably the two most underappreciated Colts of their time in Indianapolis. Yeah, I would agree on that. As far as the Hall of Fame, and I don't want this to turn into a knock on Tarek, I'm a big believer, Jake, in that longevity matters. Fair. And unfortunately, Tarek just did, didn't achieve, what was Fair. it, nine years? Yeah, although it was his decision, though. Right, but I'm, I just think there's an element, of, and that's why I think Frank Gore is a guy that should get in very quickly because particularly that position, when you have longevity there, that's at me matters a little bit more. A couple Ellinger comparisons. Wes says Tyrod Taylor. Steve says Mason Rudolph. You know, part of it. Tyrod Taylor is probably a pretty good one. Part of it, I think, before we you know place a crown on Ellinger is just you get you got to see him. Right. You obviously got to get on the field first. Uh, but I do think there is an ability. Colt McCoy's there. a good one just because they're both Texas guys. Yeah, right? I I, I kind of like that. Um, I think there is an ability for him to be a long term backup here in Indianapolis. Uh, Kent wanted to talk about the Colts' offensive line. Good morning, Kent. Hey, good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Doing great. Thanks for calling. Hey. <laughs> We've been talking about at work a lot about the offensive line. Now, where's work, Kent? I work at Blakely's Corporation. Okay, good morning to Blakely's. Yeah, we, uh, we do installations. Okay, that's cool. Um, we... Uh, I'm actually unloading right now, but anyway, we just we, <laughs> multitasking. From I like that. Good multitasker. Well, that's, you know, is you know, you have to learn learn sometime in your life. Um. Anyway, we've been talking a lot about the offensive line, and uh, I think Sam Ellinger would be a little bit quicker uh, getting out of a pass rush. That seems to have been uh, really getting to Matt Ryan. I, listen, and I know, I know that the older I've got, the slower I get, and I just wonder if it's the same thing for him. It just seems like he can't. I mean, I've seen him fall down two or three times just you because mean he slow knows. physically or slow mentally or both. Well, both. I really yeah. do think it, it comes down to both mental and physical. You know, with um, I think that's fair. Go ahead. Yeah, Kent. Thank you. Um, with Ryan Jake. I feel like at times, and I'll make the pitching analogy here from a baseball sense, the fastball is gone from, and I don't think Ryan was ever like 98, but, you know, Ryan, let's say he's a 93, 94 mile-per-hour fastball guy. It's 88 or 89 right now, and too many times it's not in the zone. Too many times he's getting behind in the count, and it's all of a sudden 3-1, and and now that hitter's sitting dead red on a fastball down the plate, and boom, you're turning the ball over, you're having to come back late in games, and you can't have that. So I, I do think there is a little bit of, I don't think he's like broken physically, but I think there's been a little bit of father time there. The more alarming or the more shocking part, the two interceptions we, we saw Thursday night. That's first-year stuff. That stuff if Sam Ellinger started on Sunday, I would somewhat expect. And that's the, that's the stuff that I think is a bit worrisome and like, is that just a mind? Is that a guy that's gun-shy? Is that a guy that's a, afraid of his offensive line? Kevin, I think one of the questions, and it's easy to look back and have hindsight be twenty twenty. 
But let me ask you a question. Why was Matt Ryan available? What were the events that precipitated for suddenly Matt Ryan to need a change of scenery with Atlanta? Yeah, a bad football team, a big contract, and the belief that they could get Deshaun Watson. Okay, the last part there. The belief they could get Deshaun Watson. Matt Ryan became available because they needed a change of scenery because Matt Ryan suddenly figured out that the Falcons told him they wanted to see other people. Well, if I understand Matt Ryan, who has been a great player in his career and is still clearly a good player, but I think the Colts thought they were getting a great player. And what we are seeing is that they got probably a good player. The Colts roster is such right now that to win, they need a great player at quarterback. And they have a good player at quarterback. And the Colts roster is not built to be able to offset anything other than and win with anything other than a great quarterback. And that's the problem is the timelines don't add up for the Colts because they are going to have to eventually make the change at quarterback and get a young quarterback in there and their roster may develop their young talent may develop as such where all it needs is a good quarterback but that's two years from now and they are in need of a great one and Matt Ryan at one time was a great quarterback but I think the Atlanta Falcons realized he's just good now and so he's expendable I thought something Ron Rivera mentioned earlier in that clip we played that is extremely accurate in relation to the Colts that sustained success phrase NFL history shows if you want to try and achieve that you've got to have a consistent presence under center and that could not be more applicable applicable to the applicable applicable (laughs) applicable also works I have discovered my career here's the thing it's 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 tomato tomato I have noticed in my career that applicable is easier to say applicable is okay but you're adding an extra syllable applicable easier yeah, that to say. is easier to say yeah. okay applicable <laughs> <laughs> now you forget what you were, the point you were making so i i apologize ron rivera's comment about sustained success and having that consistent presence at quarterback that's a discussion that's not being had enough at west 56th street thinking that band-aid 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 is going to get the job done no it, it's a step forward, and then naturally you're going to take steps back. And that's what the Colts have been doing now for the last handful of seasons. Um, And I guess a little bit with the Ryan thing is like, should we be looking at it glass half full any? Like he's not going to be making these stupid mistakes for the entire season? This is so out of the norm? If the offensive line can put a couple of the pieces back together, Ryan won't have these constant fumble turnover-like plays? Or is this just who he is right now at 37? That's that's the question, I think, for the rest of the season. Because the Colts would go glass half full. They would say, this isn't the norm for him. We know he's going to get it figured out. They also continue to point to the fourth quarter moments. It's like, well, you need the fourth quarter moments because of what Matt Ryan's done for you in the first and second and third quarters. But that, to me, kind of sets up this entire, not only two-week stretch coming up here, which absolutely massive, hosting Jacksonville at Tennessee, but the rest of the season. If this is going to get turned around, if you're going to start to have some competence offensively, 
does Matt Ryan get back to just acting like the quarterback that you thought in the sense of he's throwing 88 or 89, but at least he's going to be in the zone all game long. If you can get there, this offense, I think, can get out of the mud they're currently stuck in. Right. But can you get there? I think that's a question that you have right now. Joe Madden going to join us at the top of the hour. Rodney Thomas II. Colt safety, the seventh round pick out of Yale. He will Do you know be the difference us. between a second and a junior? In an hour? Um, I guess I don't. I believe it is direct line of, success, of, of following, right? So in other words, um, if someone is, we can ask him this, and I'm sure he'll be thrilled I will. Uh, if, if someone is the second, it means that they are named after someone, but they are not the direct descendant of. A junior means they, that the person that they are named for is, in fact, their father. So Rodney would have another sibling above him? No. So in other words, if he's Rodney Thomas II, then they're like he has like a grandfather a generation or an, gap. Correct. Got between it. himself and another Rodney. I believe that's correct. Well, can't, can't wait for that question. Educate and entertain. That's what we do here. <laughs> that's what we do. Thank you, Mark. Morning checkdown time here on The Fan. The Morning Checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Last night in the NFL, it was the Kansas City Chiefs 30-29 to over the Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders had a chance to put themselves in field goal range to end the game, but when Adams and Hunter Renfro bumped into each other, looked like the Keystone Cops, ball sailed over their head, game over. Chiefs win 30-29. Raiders had a two-point conversion that failed in the final minutes of the game. Patrick Mahomes, four touchdown passes, all four to Travis Kelsey. Looks like uh, Devontae Adams might have some Yeah, is he going to be suspended for that? Probably should be. Devontae Adams walking off the field in a bout of frustration. Uh, forearm shoved, completely unsolicited. A Looked like a, what, a camera guy or an audio yeah, guy? Yeah, mic guy or yeah. something, yeah. Pushed him right to the ground. Mm-hmm. Apologized yeah. later and on Twitter and stuff, but damage was done at that point. Yeah, I mean, bye week for the Raiders coming up this week. Mark, what are we doing here? You did the swoosh. What do you want? Are you the audio guy that just got pushed to the ground? Where's the swoosh? I just did it twice. I didn't oh, hear I, it. I didn't hear it. There we go. Third time's a charm <laughs> on the swoosh. One more for good measure. Major League Baseball Divisional Series. I think four swooshes for each of the four games. I'm hitting the over today, folks. Right? Uh, Phillies Braves at 107. Mariners and Astros at 337. And the nightcaps, the Guardians and the Yankees. The Let's Padres. go, Guardians. And the Dodgers, if you're looking at odds for those four series, the closest odds be the Phillies and the Braves. I will buy – you know what? I, I have nothing against the Yankees at all. But I, I will, if the Guardians win that series, I will buy a Guardians hat. I will proudly rock a Guardians hat. Can you still buy a Chief Wahoo hat? I doubt it. You don't think you can anywhere? I think you can. Oh, I'm sure you can find one, but not at a, like a reputable – There's no way that their online store has them, correct? Oh, no, 0% chance of that. Zero? Zero. You don't think like a like a retro? I mean, I think Mark's talking like team store. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, I, I would guess no on that one. Okay. Now you want the swoosh again? We haven't hit our quota yet? Colts got the day off today. They'll get back to practice tomorrow and get into that weekly routine. It's a lot of Sunday games coming up for the Colts, really until I guess the Monday after Thanksgiving. That is their first Monday night game of the season yesterday frank reich met the media we talked a little bit earlier about the linebacker 
position and a guy that's been needed a lot this year has been Zaire Franklin has performed pretty well here was right yesterday on Zaire like those are two guys I could talk about when you talk about leadership and playmaking those are two guys that I, I could talk all day about um different personalities different way of doing it but Zaire you know I mean you don't have to be limited to one guy being the heart and soul of the team I mean these guys complement each other right I mean it's like what's the musical analogy, you know, that's harmony. I, you know, I mean, like I, you, all the corny stuff you want, let's throw it all out there. I mean, you got two guys that are the epitome of everything you want in a competitor. They're the epitome of everything you want in your leader and, and a teammate, the whole package. Who are the two best musical harmony guys of all time? Would it be Simon and Garfunkel? Sure. It's got to be right. Mark? Not a couple of the beach boys. Ooh, not bad. Not bad. I mean, Simon and Garfunkel are kind of the creme de la creme in that regard, right? They're up. Well, yeah, as a duo, yeah. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. When he's talking about a duo that that have Hall and Oates, Hall and Oates doesn't do it for you. Hall and Oates are cool. I got no problem with Hall and Oates. I like some Philly. I like Hall and Oates. You know, would you put Zaire Franklin and Bobby Okereke up there? Is that where Frank was going with that? Well, that's what he was saying. Is like, hey, you know what? They got two guys with musical harmony. First three-time captain, right, in the history of Syracuse or like a 100-year history of Syracuse? What's your favorite Simon and Garfunkel song? Uh, Cecilia? Sound of Silence is really good. Only Living Boy in New York, that's a good one too. I mean, Sound of Silence. Is is their signature song Sound of Silence or Mrs. Robinson? Probably Mrs. Robinson. What about Bridge Over Troubled Water? That's a good one too. Okay, Cecilia. He had a problem Mm -hmm. with Cecilia? No. Gavin, you want to chime in? I I would say Mrs. (laughs) Robinson. Uh, Good friend Scotty says Casey and JoJo. Kevin is there. It is. The conversation. We found it now. <laughs> okay. See, you just never know where we're going, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are we doing next? We have Joe Madden in thirty minutes. Can we ask him about that? Can I ask him about Simon? Sure. And I'm sure he'd love it. Joe Madden, thirty. Rodney Thomas, the second in an hour. Kevin Aquare here, ninety three five one seven five. The fan. You know, I oftentimes on Twitter will ask, what's the signature song of a certain band? People, very few people understand what signature song means, by the way. This is a good one. But um, Simon and Garfunkel is a tough one for signature song. Signature song, by the way, means, and it's so funny to me because I'll ask it, and people like, people like, dude, no way. It's, you know, I'm a diehard, and it's track eight of, like, album number nine. And I'm like, no, no, no. Signature song means, like, the song that the person who is not even a fan of that band knows them from that song. And for Simon and Garfunkel, it probably is Mrs. Robinson, but I would think that Sound of Silence, which gets played more, like, in pop culture? I would side with Mrs. Robinson, but you would be the better person to... Sound of Silence got a little bit of a resurgence with the Disturbed cover. Understood. But in the Sound of Silence does, like any time a team loses to end their season or something, people play that. But Mrs. Robinson, any time there's a reference to, like in American Pie, which I realize is now a dated reference, but, you know, when when Finch, like, you know, an older woman, anytime there's a reference to an older woman, Mrs. Robinson gets played because it's from The Graduate with Dustin Hoffman. That's what the whole thing was about. Mm -hmm. But they're pretty cool, Simon and Garfunkel, right? Oh, yeah. Fitch asks, isn't Bobby O'Karake's contract up after the season? The Colts are going to have to a, going to have to make a decision. I just assumed they would let O'Karake walk. Um, you can't pay. Boy, can you now, though? You can't invest too much money at linebacker. I think you've invested too much, to your earlier point. I mean, again, you gave Zaire Franklin a nice contract. 
But now I've seen this Leonard injury situation play out, and Jake, like you just said, that complicates some things a little bit. Now I'm thinking, boy, try and bring Okereke back, but then again, what do you do with Leonard? What do you do with Franklin? Um, I think EJ Speed has had some flashes this season that you've kind of been waiting for. Year, what is it? Year, I guess EJ Speed's in a contract here. Now that I think about it, I think him and Okereke were the same draft. So maybe um, make a decision there. If you bring back Speed, you let Okereke walk, he'd be cheaper, and you go that route. I think that's a that's an interesting one. There's not a lot of, I think, marquee free agents, um, like draft picks, because that 2019 draft class was not very good. Um, so there's not a lot of marquee names in that draft class, but Okereke, largely to do with what's happened around him with Leonard, I think that's one to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting discussion because, you know, Okereke and Zaire Franklin both, have done what you've asked, right, Kevin, and the fact that, like, when their number has been called and they have been – and it has been needed, I wouldn't you agree that they've done about Certainly. everything that oh, you yeah. could ask from them? Yeah, I mean, and you I know. would argue Franklin's been a little above and beyond. I mean, for a guy that's been a career special teamer to step into that role and, for the most part, I think it's been really, really steady for you. Um, job well done for him. Uh, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, Jake, and, and yesterday, you know, the, the Pacers attempting to tank quietly. I mean, I guess they're they're basically saying that they're in a rebuild without saying the word rebuild. They call it a retool. Retool, or, right, right. You know, whatever sounds more they're renovating. politically correct. They haven't torn the whole house down. They're renovating. It, you know, I'll kind of echo something I said earlier. I just don't think it's a true tank because I think they need to see Tyrese Halliburton play an entire season see what he's like with these young guys see what he's like end of games Tal- Halliburton is on this nice trajectory a couple seasons into his NBA career but you still need to see if he's going to get to that next step is he your go-to guy late is he more of a facilitator is he more of that 1a and you're still looking for the one what do him and Matherin look like together what you know Jalen Smith a little bit more minutes Isaiah Jackson Tyrese Halliburton is, what, 21, 22 years old. It's not like you have this 26-year-old definite star and you're going to get to February and realize, we're good. We don't need to play him for the final 20, 30 games of the season. Plus, the trade deadline, again, is in February. The trade deadline is not a true half point of an NBA season. It's more like 50-some games into an NBA year. So if you're going to move Turner and Heald, theoretically, you should still have him on your roster for – maybe two-thirds of the season. That's not really a true tank either. Yeah, I think the thing with Turner and Heald, Heald is an interesting one because we just automatically throw him in there, right? Because he's uh, – Buddy Heald is kind of like that. He's a, he's a nice player, and he's a really good guy. I think the roster really likes him. The organization likes him. But at just his age and, you know, where his trajectory is, I don't know that he fits into uh, the renovation. I'm going to call it that. Turner, so those two guys, because of the fact that they have something to offer to a franchise that that might be needing a piece in some area, but very clearly the Pacers have held out on moving either of those unless there are first-round picks involved. That's why they're still here. And they're holding on to that, I think, with that hope that they can parlay them into additional 
first-round picks. The Pacers want assets. They want young assets to come in and help with the renovation, right? And Halliburton, there is no doubt, this is a franchise that had a franchise player in Reggie Miller. And what's interesting is when they drafted Reggie Miller, they didn't draft him at the time thinking necessarily that they were drafting him because they thought he was going to be a franchise piece. They knew they needed a scorer. They knew they needed a shooter, and they liked his length. But they had Chuck Person. And Reggie Miller then showed that he was a guy they could build around, so he became the franchise guy based on his exertion of the way he was playing, not because they said, like, this is who we're going to build around. They realized that's who they needed to build around. Then once they transitioned from Reggie Miller into Jermaine O'Neal, then from Jermaine to Paul George, from Paul George to Victor Oladipo, those were all pieces that they got, and they said, okay, that's going to be our franchise guy. And those were young players that were never in situations. Jermaine O'Neal did not play collegiately, went to Portland, sat the bench, came here, became a star before our very eyes. And to an extent, to a little bit of an extent, a very, very good player, by the way, and probably underappreciated. But maybe didn't always handle the, the limelight as well as he could or should have. Paul George went to Fresno State, not a huge star. Comes here, develops before our very eyes, gets the thirst to go back home to the West Coast. I, I, I don't blame him for that at all. I understand it. Victor Oladipo, not a star coming out of high school. Blossoms at Indiana. Then goes into the NBA, a little bit of obscurity. Blossoms before our very eyes as an NBA player. Becomes a star. Did not handle it well. Listen to the wrong people. I think the Pacers have to be a little bit hesitant with Tyrese Halliburton over making sure they don't get Victor Oladipo and Paul George again. But they feel like, Kevin, the ingredients are there from the standpoint of his chemistry and his approach that he is safe for them. They are safe in picking him as the straw that's going to mix the drink. Yeah, I think there's a lot of thing in, things in his background that you really, really like, and you feel like he won't necessarily go down the path of the two previous stars, but you don't truly know that until, first off, until he reaches an all-star level. Again, I think he's trending towards potentially being there, but he still has to prove it. Um, and I think a couple things to keep in mind with the Pacers and the win-loss element of the season. For one, and the NBA adopted this a few years ago, the NBA is not like the NFL draft. The NFL draft goes from worst record to best record. Right. The NBA draft, again, the lottery, it's a lot different. Um, I think if you look at like the worst record of the NBA versus the sixth worst record in the NBA, it's like a 5% different chance in getting the first overall pick. It's not as cut and dry as the NFL. Um, I think Memphis, we've brought up Memphis before. The Pacers have alluded to that rebuild several times. They were way down the lottery odd list when they got the second overall pick, which became John Morant. So it's not necessarily like, oh, you were the worst team in the NBA last year? You're going to get Victor Webb and Yama. I By wonder the way, where... did, you, did you see his stat line from those two games in Vegas? <laughs> Are you more obsessed with Victor Webinyama or Benedict Matherin? Well, I mean, yeah, that's not even close. That's not even a question. Slapping. There goes any chance we have of getting Benedict on the show. <laughs> Victor Webinyama in Vegas. Those two games against the G League Ignite. Seventy-eight points for him. Nine of eighteen from three. 
He shot 28 free throws. And he had three turnovers in the two games. <laughs> You're incredulously looking at me. You know, like, the, the, the phrase Jake is probably said very often. How many times have you had buddies, you know, go to a high school game or, you know, watch the freshman play at said college here one time and be like, Jake, I've never seen anybody like him. Yeah. This dude is that. Like, they... He is a unicorn. There's no, no question. one else has truly fit that mold. Everyone, you can compare someone to everyone, like the fluidity in which he he's, moves. He's Kevin Durant's skill set and Rudy Gobert's body. I saw someone said like Ralph Sampson, Dirk, and Porzingis all together. Yeah, I mean, by the way, Ralph Sampson hit the most underrated forgotten great unbelievable moment shot in nba history why does no one when people talk about great shots in nba history and they talk about jordan against the jazz i understand it they talk about you know i I don't know reggie miller you know eight points in in nine seconds i understand it nobody talks about the fact that the houston rockets were had the la lakers on the ropes to go to the nba finals to win the western conference but needed to score a basket with under two seconds to go on an inbounds, and Ralph Sampson tipped it. Like, it wasn't even a pass because they didn't have enough time. He, he didn't have time to get a shot off, and it went in. And they went, and they they defeated the, the you know, the Lakers, for the Showtime Lakers, and went to the finals. Nobody talks about it. But lost in the finals, right? They did lose in the finals because Ralph Sampson punched Jerry Seasting and got suspended, and Jim Peterson had to start a game. See, that's the Jalen Sugg shot from the Final Four, Jake, from a few years ago. Yes. Or, uh, for that matter, Chris Jenkins, like for Villanova. like Well, Jenkins made the game winner I, in the national title. I know, but like you stop uh, – there are more people, if you just stopped them on the street, that remember Lorenzo Charles's shot – or probably Keith Smart shot than remember Chris Jenkins, and it was a pull-up three at the horn to win the national title. But if Gonzaga goes on to win the national title and goes undefeated, we talk about that Jalen Sugg shot endlessly. That, that shot was pretty unbelievable. I mean, it was hurt a little bit by the fact there was nobody in the crowd, but it was pretty unbelievable. Which, I, which give, venue was that shot, by the way? Uh, that was the end zone court over there at Lucas Oil, right? Was it Lucas Oil? Yeah, the final four was at Lucas Oil. Oh, that was the final four. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, UCLA in that final four. I... One thing I think that Webb and Yama and his people deserve credit for, Jake, is like bringing him over here. They easily just could have kept that French team in Europe. The Webb and Yama hype would continue to be there, but yet they almost were like, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they got some financial incentives, but like Webb and Yama would have been the number one pick had he stayed over there, no questions asked. You bring him over here, you risk exposing him a little bit. He's not used to NBA rules. I believe it was his first game ever in the States. He's seen different body types, things like that. And yet they clearly felt very confident in him. I I think oftentimes we see that generation of athlete and probably the handlers around that generation of athlete kind of run from some of these situations. Boy, they embraced it. And did he deliver? The, you, you probably don't remember Samson at all, right? No, I mean, probably more Virginia highlights than anything, right? Yeah, I mean, I remember when he was in college. I mean, it was like... Honestly, losing to Shamana, right? Yeah. And I... Rick Carlisle was not on that Shamanad team. I, I looked it up. I, he was... On the Virginia team that lost to him? 
I'm sorry, on the Virginia team. Rick Carlisle played at Virginia with Ralph Sampson, but it was after the Chaminade upset because he was at Maine for the first two years. Now, Virginia beat IU in the Elite Eight, but that Uh, was not Sampson. Kevin, I'm not going to say that it's a a memory that I still remember, but after Indiana defeated North Carolina 72-68 on March 22nd of 1984 in the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia, two days later they lost to Virginia 50-48 in the regional finals, and Virginia advanced to the Final Four in Seattle uh, to accompany Kentucky, Houston, and Georgetown. Yeah, I was a little bitter about that one. Olden Polonese was the Virginia star. Samson was already in the NBA by then. Got it. Virginia, by the way, did play in the final NCAA Final Four consolation game in 81. Smart decision, I think, to do away with that. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. Like Third place, guys. Woo! <laughs> UCLA loses to Jalen Suggs at the All horn. Right. They're like, we're coming back yep. in two days All with right. a consolation Kelvin game. Kelvin Sampson and Houston, we got. Can you imagine playing them in a consolation game? That's only hell. Uh, Joe Madden, former manager of the Cubs, he joins us here in about 10 minutes. Kevin Aquari. Mike's been hanging on for a bit. Mike want to talk some Sam Ellinger. Good morning, Mike. Hey, morning, guys. Uh, so I got a, a little bit of a joke first, and it's uh, it's more towards the Doug Flutie comparison. Y'all cannot, nobody can compare him to Doug Flutie until he gives us a drop kick. Uh, <laughs> that was the best, man. He did a couple of those, I think, right? The kicking situation yeah, was yeah. pretty desperate, Mike. I thought for a second <laughs> yeah. they might need Ellinger to do that. <laughs> uh, so, no, I guess my main point here is, yeah, if you go – I don't know, say you stink the place up, you lose to Jacksonville, and Ryan does this typical couple fumbles and a pick. I mean, if you turn to this guy and we're sitting at, what we? I guess if we lost, we'd be two and three and one. So we can be real with each other right now. We're not winning a Super Bowl this year. I don't care what anybody – our line's not going to protect a damn thing, let alone our receivers getting separation, Ryan not turning the ball over. It's just not going to happen. So you ride with Ellinger. C.J. Stroud's out there, Bryce Young. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do instead of doing this Band-Aid crap that Ballard likes to do. Appreciate it, Mike. Well, Mike drop from Mike there. Um, <laughs> yeah, they will obviously not bail on Ryan anytime soon. You know, the, mathematically, they're going to be in the thick of this AFC South race for quite some time, even if they – I mean, hell, even if they lose these back-to-back games. But – if and when that ever happens this season, I, I don't need to see Nick Foles at all. Yeah, what what good does Nick Foles Go do, right? And again, I, coming off this mini bye week, as I said a little bit earlier, Jake, do we see anything else? That was a wildly, I would call it, incredible malpractice, frankly, what they did before the Thursday night game with the three offensive line changes without any practice time. Now that they've had the weekend off, what do they do? Mentioned it with Joel Erickson yesterday. I want to see more Alec Pierce. I want to see more Isaiah Rogers. I think injury will play into this, but some Dayo Adengbo will have his playing time increased, I would think, with Quiddy Pay's injury situation. You know, Michael Pittman has one catch in the second halves the last two weeks. I think you need to find Pittman a little bit more, and I get it. He receives heavy attention from opposing defenses. But what else do we see? Is there anything that involves Ellinger? Is it a smaller package for him? You know, on short yardage situations, do you elevate him over Foles? I, I don't know. You but know, this is the time. If you're going to do anything, this is it. This is where you have the extra time, whereas your bye week is not until December. I, listen, Kevin, at what point do the Colts 
Where would the Colts have to be for them to reach the point of saying, we got to move on with the with where we're going here? You know what I mean? Like bench Ryan? Yeah. I, mathematically, mathematically eliminated. eliminated. And I, I would agree. I think they, that's how they view it. And I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And that's not going to happen until be Christmas, probably, if, if even that. All right, Joe Madden, he's going to join us next here on Kevin Aquari. So just before we were coming out of the break, our next guest called in, and Mark Dykton, who grew up in the Chicago area and is a diehard Cubs fan, uh, hyperventilated. Right, Mark? Sweaty palms. A little bit. I can fanboy a little bit, yeah. You fanboyed, right? I did. I believe you said, and I quote, thank you so much, sir, for not only doing everything you did, but for being simply on the planet at the same time as me and bringing the Chicago Cubs a world championship. Isn't that what you said? <laughs> I feel like you're being a little, a little facetious there, but yeah, I'll take it. Uh, joining us now, he has a new book out. As a matter of fact, it's out right now. Try Not to Suck at Baseball and Life, the book of Joe. Joe Madden, who, of course, Cubs fans, among other franchises, he needs no introduction, joins us on the Payless Liquors guest line to talk about the book and more. Joe, first off... Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning to you. Good morning to you guys, too, and I really do appreciate you having me on. I do. Joe, where did this idea begin? I've always found myself pretty interested in you from afar. Unlike Mark, I'm not a Cubs fan. I'm a Reds fan, so um, I guess I should be cussing under my breath at you. Uh, But nonetheless, when did this idea start, and uh, how did it begin, I guess? Well, it, it really began in 2008 with the with the Rays. We went to the World Series of first that year, and um, a lot of folks asked me to, to do a book afterwards, and I really wasn't ready to do that. I did not think I had really earned the right to even consider doing a book. So uh, it just kept going. After the 19th season with the Cubs, I happened to run into Tom Berducci, and I said, um, listen, this, I think it's about time, and I'd be interested in doing this, and I'd really like to do it with you. And so we got together, and the premise is to really compare and contrast managing in the big leagues uh, from uh, 1980s to present day. That's the primary uh, purpose of the book, as well as to expound on some uh, of the madnisms that like Tommy likes to call them, the different things that I've said. Each chapter has a heading, and we go into more detail about it. So it's a, you know, it's baseball philosophical, and I'm hoping that it really appeals to a wider audience than just a baseball audience. And those that might be into the leadership roles might uh, take to it also. Joe, to me, managing and I get you know baseball is an interesting sport to me because you have there are so many pieces that that go in and out, and I think that people feel like to be a successful manager, it strictly is the strategy of X's and O's. When you look back at your career, was the greater strength of Joe Madden understanding the game of baseball? or understanding and meshing personalities on a team? I think it always starts with the people and, and the personalities and um, the culture that you attempt to create, maybe then eventually you do. This started in the 80s with me. Um, it's in the book I, I did. Um, I was the instructional league uh, coordinator, and Gene Mock happened to be the manager at that time. And this is how this all started for me. Um, I'm throwing BP in the cage. If you're not talking, Gene walks up, and uh, it's all of his polyester glory, and, and calls me over and says, um, you've created a great atmosphere around here. I had no idea what he was talking about, but it caused me to go home that night and think about it. And exactly what you're talking about it was the communication component, relationships, the trust, all these things that maybe at that particular age was doing just organically, which is great. But then you want to replicate it on an annual basis. So I had to stop and think, what's going on here? Um, I, I really feel strong about my X's and O's too because I've had some great mentors. But... On an annual basis, the most important thing to do is connect with people. 
Joe Madden is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, the book of Joe, Try Not to Suck at Baseball <laughs> and Life. Every time I hear that title, it's not it's great. It's a smile. Uh, Joe, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> even though I'm not a Cubs fan, I certainly can picture exactly where I was in watching Game 7, I guess a little over, right around a handful of years ago. Um, what did you think when the rain delay happened, and what did you do during the rain delay? Fortuitous, kind of. You know, we had to regroup a little bit. Um, what I did was, uh, I, I, there's a, in, in uh, Cleveland, there's a steps going down and steps going up. I went to my office to check on the weather report. And uh, actually, Joe, Joe West, he told me it's going to be 17 minutes. I don't know why he said 17. But anyway, I was going to check it as I'm going in and up the stairs. Our players are going into the weight room, and Jason Hayward had called us meeting, which absolutely uh, probably turned the whole thing around. So I was upstairs, I was talking to, to Jed Hoyer, we're trying to reassure ourselves we're going to be all right, because uh, we get punched in the gut like that, it's very difficult, obviously, we got through the ninth inning and uh, had to come back out and play, but I do believe the, the rain delay, uh, being able to regroup, the idea of the boys getting together and then coming out as fresh as it was the first inning was really remarkable. Did you listen to what Hayward had to say, or did you know... He's going to handle it, and I don't need to say anything. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much like that. I trust, uh, again, I trust leadership. Uh, one of the, again, one of the tones in the book is the fact that I believe uh, the more freedom given, for lack of a better term, the greater respect and discipline returns. So um, you've been with your guys. You guys, you know, there's, there's a back and forth all year. Um, sometimes guys don't like you because you might have to pinch it or take them out of the game, whatever. Pitcher, same thing. But – end of the day we're all on the same page i trusted jason jason hay was one of the best leaders i've been around um since i've been doing this i know his offensive numbers weren't as great as everybody wanted him to be in chicago but uh, on a daily basis this guy showed up and i always felt while i was there for the better team when he was on the field so i totally trusted jason Joe Madden is our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors guest line again the book is joe madden try not to suck at baseball and life the book of joe Joe, one of the things about you that, you know, I think you're aware of this, that fans that kind of transcended baseball. So non-baseball fans, I think, were intrigued and enjoyed Joe Madden because of the fact that you had and brought a colorful personality to it. Is there, when one has eccentricities, if this makes sense, is it difficult to make sure that those things are always authentic? And is there a danger? And I'm not saying you did this, but for, for people in the game of life, if people try too hard to become, you know, eccentric, are they then in fact ordinary? Does that make sense what I'm asking in terms of finding that balance to connecting with people, but doing so in a genuine and authentic fashion? hundred percent. It makes sense. And, and I, listen, I, I'm from the coal regions of Northeastern Pennsylvania. That's where I'm sitting right now. I got my butt kicked if I acted any other way growing up by a lot of different people. Um, whatever, whatever anybody has perceived to me to this point, um, believe me, it's, uh, I do, I know it's, it's an authentic method. It's, I, I can't, I can't fabricate who I am or what I would do on a daily basis. Anytime, uh, a, a former player, whomever coach gets a job as a manager, they ask me for my advice. And I said, please, of all things, be yourself. I think the, the problem with some guys is they get jobs like that, a major league manager's job, and all of a sudden they change because they feel like they have to do things differently. Um, I've never felt that way. Uh, you know, as a quarterback when I was 10 years old, I major football all the way up through. You've always been in the huddle. You've always been uh, out front and leading in different capacities. So I know one thing for sure. Uh, people can smell a rat real quickly. 
and they know we're not the, if it's authenticity or it's a fabrication. And for that, uh, just like uh, in the book, again, I hate to keep referencing, but the Hemingway quote of, he writes, he sits down uh, to write a book and he will write one true sentence, the truest sentence that he knows, and then he goes to the next one. And I think that's the only way, and I never, you know, I never thought of it in those terms until I read it. And uh, that's true. I mean, I think authenticity begins with one true sentence. If there was a book written about a rift that took place between Albert Pujols and Joe Madden, would that book be in the fiction or nonfiction section of the bookstore? Well, it's fiction. I mean, no, Albert, Albert and I got along well. Um, uh, he was upset when he left. Absolutely he was. And um, the day that I did not have him in the lineup, but I, there was other things going on that I knew of and I couldn't play him that day. And that was it. Um, uh, but no, um, Albert and I had some, like, especially when I first got there, some great conversations thinking about Albert that people don't realize. And I've, I've mentioned it, I've said it to him. It's like, uh, this guy does a lot off the field that people have no clue about. Everybody looks at the home runs and everything else. And, uh, right away, that's Albert Pujols. But, uh, his foundation that really, um, helps the kids with Down syndrome, people with Down syndrome, uh, is, is incredible. I attended his first, my, uh, an event of his, the first year I got the job. And then when we were going through the pandemic, this guy picked up um, a tab for salaries among a lot of uh, uh, Dominican employees that we had at that particular time. Albert has got a really big heart. So everybody sees the baseball version of him. I like the person version of him. Again, it's the book of Joe, Try Not to Suck at Baseball and Life. Joe Madden with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joe, if I gave you um, a title of commissioner of Major League Baseball and uh, allowed you to change two rules, what would you change? I would not. Uh, absolutely, the, the three batter minimum, I don't like at all. And the uh, runner at second base, please stop doing that. <laughs> little, uh, little more traditional in your base in that regard, right? Well, I mean, I, what is it traditional? It's the game. I mean, I, I really, you know, it's funny when people you know, think of something as being progressive. It's just somebody's new idea that you throw out there. It doesn't mean it's better. Um, I like the idea that the game is measured from back in the 1800s. I think that's pretty cool. No other game is measured in that way. And, you know, I'm hearing about different uh, groups trying to go match up bullpen in the latter part of the game going into the playoffs. How do you do that with a three batter minimum? How, how do you play a matchup bullpen? I'm, I'm talking about the closer at the end of the game. It, it's not a good rule. It, it's not a good rule. It's, it's actually uh, almost created a, a, the left-handed specialist has become a dinosaur. And he can be a very uh, uh, important player. And furthermore, like you lose games because of that. You put a guy on second base and, and the inning starts and it just it's serendipitous. Something's happened and you lose. Don't like that. Um, you're forced to use three, uh, a pitcher for three consecutive hitters and you lose don't like that because that's really not strategically what you would do otherwise. So there's a lot of things that um, impact or inflict upon trying to do the right thing to win a game as a manager. And these two rules really at the top of the list for me. You know, that leads kind of to an age-old argument I've had with a buddy for years, Joe. And and Joe Madden, you can settle this argument once and for all. When you were a kid back in Pennsylvania, you're a kid, you're playing backyard baseball with your buddies. And you got to use a ghost runner, right? We've all used the ghost runner. So you got a ghost man on second, and you hit a double. What happens to the ghost man? Scores. Thank you. Yes. Yes. See, people think that he has to be forced in. And I'm like, who is your ghost man? Sid Bream? He scores on a double, right? 
Of course he does. Uh, of course he does. And when he's a runner on first base, he scores on a triple. Yeah. I mean, I, That's I, exactly that right. Math, he, man. The thanksiest <laughs> question Joe Matt ever had. It's a whole run. The guy from Hall Plate scores too. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what's I don't understand that one at all. Now let me ask you this though. I love this. This is what I love. For a hundred years, guys have tried to be the manager that broke the Cubs curse and and get them a World Series. You did that. You Los Angeles, Southern California, Orange County, best most beautiful weather in in the country. You you lived and you managed there. Yet when it comes down to it. You're back in the place where it all began for you in Pennsylvania. People in Indiana, I think, can relate to that never forgetting your roots. But with all of your travels, with all of the success and all of the fame, what is it about home that made you return? So I am. Um, I mean, the dirt here is, is, is my dirt. Um, the people of the city itself, I drive through it often. We've, we've gone through some tough times here over the last uh, 15, 20 years it's been a total remake of the area but a lot of the buildings and the places still exist and I drive and I think and I'm just I'm so wanting this uh, Hazleton area to rebound and come back to the glory that it once had when, when coal was king and eventually we have this big distribution center because interstates 80 and 81 intersect right here so I've, I've been disappointed I, I, you know, that's how we got together and get a respect 90J and myself my wife and uh, tried to, we, we created the Hazleton Integration, uh, uh, Hazleton Integration, <laughs> yep. uh, and then with that we have the Hazleton One Community Center to try to bring the Hispanic and Anglo cultures together in our hometown, and so this is this is who I am. Um, I think it's really important wherever you eventually end up being and exist and work, absolutely you should become part of that community and, and help and aid and make it a better place, but I also believe it would be a wonderful program to not forget where you come from and try to help that particular group too. It's really embedded in me. I can't I can't help it. I can't describe it any better than that. This is who I am. Again, Joe Madden is with us. The Book of Joe, Try Not to Suck at Baseball and Life. Joe, uh, something we've talked a lot about this year is just in awe of what Shohei Otani continues to do. Um, I don't know. I, I might be speaking out of bounds here, but I think given our American sports culture landscape, Joe, I'm not sure if we'll ever see someone from the United States do what Otani is doing or maybe be allowed to do, grow up and prove himself at the highest level, not only on the mound but in the batter's box. you think we'll ever see that from an American? Um, shoot, I, I don't think that it uh, necessarily has anything to do with where somebody comes from. Uh, it's just his, his level of, of athleticism and his personal desire to want to compete and do these two things. It's not easy to do. Um, it's, it's impossible to do. And you watch it on a daily basis and see how uh, offensive he can be and how well he runs and he wants to steal bases and, and how far he can hit a baseball and how hard. And then he goes out to the mound and that's this last year. He showed you everything he's got. I mean, that uh, the way he was pitching towards the end of the season, wow, um, it's top five in, in, in all of Major League Baseball. So I don't know that anybody from anywhere could either do it or would want to do it because there's a lot of punishment on the body physically. Uh, he, he wanted to play the day before he pitched. He wanted to hit the day that he pitched, and he wanted to hit the day after he pitched. Everybody else is sore. Everybody else is hurting somewhere. I don't know how he did it, but he does it. Um, so I, it's just a unique body composition kind of a person uh, that has just incredible uh, uh, streak to compete. Um, and he's not given enough credit for that. This guy's 
among the best top two, three competitors that have ever been around. But I, I don't know that it's uh, unique to where you have come from. It's unique to what you got going on inside. Now, Joe, given where you reside in Pennsylvania, would you consider yourself an Eagles fan? Not at all. No. Are you a fan of any NFL team? Oh, of course I am. I grew up a Cardinal fan. Um, When I was a kid, uh, I just fell in love with St. Louis sports just by the fact that my dad bought me a hat at Yankee Stadium after a game in 1963. Charlie Johnson was my first favorite quarterback. And then eventually, and if you get into uh, the uh, Jimmy Hart years and eventually Neil Lomax, but also my my NFL team was um, the Jets because of me. Joe Willie and I are friends, and so it's uh, the Jets, but on, the, on that side of the ledger, but truly uh, the Cardinals, and then I adopted the Bucks because I know Jason Light, the GM, and I know Bruce Arians and that whole group. So, but growing up, it's been Cardinals all the way. You know, it's interesting that football is such the 800-pound gorilla, Joe. I, I mean, I think we know that in the American culture these days. Um, but baseball was that for so long. And, you know, when you look at a Mike Trout, you know, Jim Hart, for example, I think, you know, for someone my age, you know, Jim Hart was a very good quarterback, but he was not necessarily a superstar quarterback, but yet his name still resonates to me. Mike Trout is an elite level generational talent in Major League Baseball, yet there are kids in America right now that may not even know who he is. Does Major League Baseball have a marketing or imaging problem? I think the big problem there is just time zones um, to be able to get to see these guys more consistently. A, B, that. Uh, the Angels have not appeared in the playoffs in a while or a long, long time. Michael's got three games there, and Shelley's got zero. Um, so I, I, it's easy, I think, to connect the dots regarding a marketing program. But I just – people are asleep on the East Coast or even in your neck of the woods by the time this guy's playing in the seventh inning or sixth inning. So I think that has something to do with it. More importantly, the fact that they have not been able to participate in the postseason or, or win a championship, I think that easily uh, would turn things around for them. So – uh, Marquee program, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, 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 I'm upset that we're no longer considered the national pastime, which never even talked about. That's my, my concern. Uh, we have been, we are, and I want to hear that more often. But it's up to us in the baseball industry to get it back to that point where people knew us in that regard. Um, I'm not in charge of marketing and everything else. So I don't want to go there. I'm just disappointed that I don't hear that phrase thrown around as often as we had in the past or at all. That we are the national pastime, and I still believe that. Joe, you, uh, are you leaving the door open for managing again, or are you content in starting the next chapter of your life? No, I'm open. Uh, I'm open, but I also believe a lot of the things in the book and all these interviews that I'm doing, might I do see they're going to make me attractive or repel uh, in some way. <laughs> in either, either way, I'm fine because I only want to be and participate with the group that uh, sees baseball in the, in the manner that I do, where uh, uh, analytics serves baseball and baseball doesn't serve numbers. Um, you know, people have this uh, idea that analytics exists in a vacuum and it's perfect. Not realizing that every group has their own little group that creates this, uh, these numbers and their own little personal cocktail and it's fallible. It's, it's not infallible. And, and furthermore, the most important part of analytics is to acquire players and nobody ever speaks about that. You think it impacts the game on a nightly basis. It's groovy when I hear all the announcers talking about exit velocity and how far a ball went, but that has nothing to do with the competition and winning the game. And that's the part that we've gotten away from way too far. Well, I think that's well, well said. Joe, last one from me. Um, I guess when you think back on that World Series run, we brought up 
uh, the rain delay. Is there a moment that stands out to you, maybe not necessarily in the World Series in that playoff run, that you think back on most fondly? Yeah, it was game four against the Giants. That was the linchpin to the whole thing. And, well, I mean, that and the fact we were down three games to one, that doesn't even get spoken about. But if you turn it back to game four in, in San Francisco, getting our butts kicked and came back really, really late to win that particular game with Johnny Cueto on deck to pitch the next day, we still might be talking about the, the Cubs uh, not having a World Series uh, championship. That was the game. That was the game that turned it around. Uh, Wilson's pinch hit, Hobby's big hit up the middle, and of course, Aroldis nailing it down at the end. After Matty Moore was magnificent, we had no chance with Johnny Cueto on deck. So, to me, the linchpin to all of that, to winning that whole uh, Shebang World Series thing, was that particular game, in my mind's eye, and that's how I look. That's my, my viewpoint, and I really believe it to be true. So, my last question for you, Joe, would be this In the life of Joe Madden, what was your game for? When you look back on your life and you decided that you don't want to suck at life, yeah. what was the moment, what was the challenge that you looked at that people can learn from where you said, you know what, my back's against the wall here, but let's go? When was it? Well, it's in, yeah, it, it's, it's in the book. I think it's a whole chapter. It's about whatever you put out there comes back to you. I was pretty distraught. I was passed over for a major league coaching job. Early 90s, I think it was 91, possibly 92. I'm not sure. And my buddy Jeter Hines got the job instead of me when Doug Grader was the manager, first base coach, and I'd been the minor league uh, coordinator. I did all kinds of stuff. I'd set things up, and I got, in my mind, I got passed over, and I was pissed, man. I was ready to, I was ready. I was, I was wanting to leave the Angels. I can't say I wanted to stop working in the industry, but I wanted to leave. So I was like, not myself. I get on an airplane to go to Midland, Texas to be um, a roving hitting instructor, and some lady sitting next to me just wanted to talk, and I didn't. And so eventually she kept talking and came out of her mouth. Remember one thing, whatever you put out there comes back to you. <laughs> and I, I took my little fuzzy headset off and I said, would you mind repeating that? And she did. And that just changed my perspective right there. That moment, snap the fingers, slap in the face, whatever you want to call it. I got up that airplane in Midland and I became who I'd been in the past. Um, so that one phrase, that one thought, and it always comes down to thoughts and that changes who we are almost immediately. That's the one uh, phrase. And I stay, I, I, I have it on a shirt. I think about it on occasion when I think things are getting weird. Uh, whatever you put out there comes back to you. Put have out you, positive Have you vibe. met her since? Like, have you? No, I, I, I have no idea who she is. No, I, it was just, it was serendipitous. So if you put out positive, you get positive. If you put out negative, you get negative. Choose, make your choice, brother. Uh, but for me, it's about putting out the positive vibes and you carry that with you and it could be uh, a positive impact on the person sitting next to you on an airplane. Some awesome, awesome sayings in there. It's been a great conversation. Again, the book is The Book of Joe, Try Not to Suck at Baseball in Life with Holiday Season right around the corner. No better present, and especially with the MLB Divisional Series starting up today. Joe, as a Reds fan, I wouldn't mind seeing you if you want to have one last go at it down there in the Queen City, but no pressure, and uh, thank you very much. Uh, for hopping on with us this morning. Congrats on the book. You guys are great. I really appreciate those outstanding questions, and thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. It's a great Joe Madden right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I know this will stun you, Kevin, to know that I actually am still friends with people I've sat next to on airplanes.
That does not stun me one bit, and you wonder why the legal department was questioning you yesterday. A transition. I'm meeting. just telling you. Uh, again, the book of Joe, Try Not to Suck at Baseball and Life. I thought his analytics answer was so, so good. And I think we see it across all sports, not just Major League Baseball. It's probably most prevalent in baseball right now, but football, we saw it. I mean, it was a horrific decision that the Chargers got away with it on Sunday from an analytical standpoint. It should be... Part of your thought process. It should not be your thought process. Let it also be known that if the ghost man's on second and you hit a double, the ghost man scores. I'm glad he could confirm that. <laughs> Much needed. Uh, Rodney Thomas, Colt Safety, joins us in five minutes. Morning Checkdown. The Morning Checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Okay, so we'll do this quick since Rodney Thomas is calling in. Yesterday, the Chiefs defeated the Raiders 30-29. to Raiders went for too late, didn't get it, got the ball back, couldn't get themselves in field goal range. Chiefs win. Major League Baseball. Thank you. Uh, Phillies-Braves at 107. Mariners-Astros at 337. The Nightcaps, the Guardians of the Yankees at 737. The Padres and the Dodgers at 937. Best of five in all of those series. Go Guardians, right? Let's go Guardians. Yep. Uh, the Colts, they'll get back to practice tomorrow. Today is an off day. Uh, injury situation, that list is, you know, grew a good amount on Thursday night football. So some things to monitor this week. The hip injury to Ryan Kelly. Tyquan Lewis, Shaquille Leonard coming off of concussions. Shaquille Leonard, um, it was a broken nose. Um, Jonathan Taylor's ankle injury. Naheem Hines' concussion. Julian Blackman's missed a couple games due to an ankle. So the injury list getting a little bit longer. For the Colts, and when we come back, we will speak with the guy who has filled in for Julian Blackman. Halfway through that Chiefs game, facing Patrick Mahomes, Blackman exits. The Colts turn to a seventh-round rookie who had never stepped on an NFL field in a defensive setting. We'll talk with Rodney Thomas next here on Kevin and Corey. If you missed it, that was Joe Madden. Again, the uh, book of Joe, Try Not to Suck at Baseball and Life. I enjoyed that interview. Seems like just a fun dude cool guy and lehigh valley where he's from that area of pennsylvania is a beautiful area i think it's a little bit north of like philly correct just just north and west of philly you know um but a cool guy for sure busy nine o'clock hour here on kevin and query let's head to the payless liquors hotline pennsylvania natives and a guy that has emerged and has really stepped up for the Colts when they've needed it the most. He is Rodney Thomas II, the seventh-round pick out of Yale, and he's with us here on this Tuesday morning. Rodney, good morning to you. How you doing? Good morning. Rodney, how'd you spend your mini-bye week? Probably your first weekend off in quite a while. Uh, yeah, it was good. Just relaxing, just resting, just getting ready for the next week. Did you go home or just chill here? I uh, went to uh, I went to Chicago to see a friend uh, for a little bit for his birthday. Nice. And then just spent some time here. Okay, then, let me uh, let me ask you, Rodney. Yeah. We were debating this, not debating, but discussing this. I'm gonna. You went to Yale, so you're clearly a lot smarter than I am. Okay, and we can establish <laughs> that right away. So I'm gonna give you my understanding of something, and then as the Yale professor, I want you to tell me if it's true or false. Okay. <laughs> You are Rodney Thomas the second. My oh, understanding yeah. has always been that if someone is the second, 
that means there is another Rodney Thomas in the family, but you are not the direct line underneath it. So in other words, if your father was Rodney Thomas, you would be Rodney Thomas Jr. So Rodney Thomas II means that like a grandfather or an uncle is Rodney Thomas as well. But this could also be completely a myth. How do I do? Uh, honestly, I couldn't even tell you. I just go by what, <laughs> what they said my name was. I don't know. I, I couldn't even tell you the rules. Well, is your father Rodney Thomas, or is it so? Yeah, my guy. Yeah, my dad. I got the same name as my dad. Dang it! Same middle name as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a tough one for Jake to swallow yeah, this it. Tuesday morning. Rodney, thank you for humbling Jake here. <laughs> Rodney Thomas II is with us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Rodney, I-, I want you to kind of take us in your mind of that week three matchup. Julian Blackman gets hurt. You guys are facing Patrick Mahomes. And all of a sudden, I don't know if it was Ron Milas or Mike Mitchell or whoever, looks at you on the sideline and says, you're going in. What were your emotions? Uh, just going in, just knowing I got to get a call and execute the call basically just knowing that I gotta go in this is a crucial point in the game it was early in the game uh, so just knowing that I had to go in and step up and uh, I was like I possibly potentially play the rest of the game so I knew I just had to just go in there and just, uh, just do exactly uh, what we practiced all week and then just take it play by play and then just get just get the job done I, I would be freaking out um, you're playing against Patrick Mahomes does that cross your mind at all when you like walk out there on the field and you look across the line of scrimmage yeah of course it does so that just lets me know that uh, I just need to be locked in he's, he's a great quarterback so and he's known to extend plays, uh, so you got to be locked in uh, to, to the whistle. The plays never assume anything uh, playing a guy like him. We can always find a way to get the ball out, so you just got to be locked in all the way to the end. I think a lot of people are fascinated, Rodney, by the fact that you played at Yale. Obviously, you know, Yale has a, a longstanding football tradition, but not necessarily is an NFL springboard. So because you were not at a traditional Power 5 NFL factory, how much did that contribute to being able to answer the bell, if you will, and overcome any sort of adversity that has come your way in fighting your way into playing time here in the National Football League? Uh, basically, just always, uh, just from always having to just work, uh, just like, cause like you said, uh, just from uh, like a lesser, like, like like no football school, like I guess like like not like paid attention to as much. I guess uh, people don't love, really watch as much in the Ivy. Um, but just like always having to work hard because you know, uh, like like I said, like come from there, like you have to try to fight just to get your name on the map and just get the guys uh, just to take a look, uh, like just just take a look your way and just different things like that. And just try to just fight for way just to get your foot in the door, basically. Because I always knew like if I could just get uh, just get my foot in the door, I just knew like. Uh, all my hard work and stuff. I would just work hard and just try to make my way up and just earn a name for myself. And uh, it's always, it's always been my mindset. So really, just uh, just coming in like that workload and then like that work ethic. It just always came with me. It just always translated into uh, what I was doing. So it just allowed me to just be able to step up and take the most of uh, the opportunity when uh, when it came to me. Number twenty-five, Rodney Thomas II. Probably helps when I turn my mic on. He's number 25, Rodney Thomas II, the rookie out of Yale with us here on Kevin Aquary. Uh, you were a, uh, it says in your Colts bio, 5'3", 130-pound freshman in high school? Yeah, I, I was really little. Was football always something that you were playing, or did all of a sudden you hit I, a growth I, 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 I always played football. Uh, 
like when I was uh, like I started playing when I was nine. So like I'm been like coming up like I was always, I guess like regular size all the way up through uh through like little league and stuff like that. And then like uh I, I was still I still was like that size when I came into high school. So I grew I think growing until going into my senior year. Uh, I got up to like five six around there like my junior year, but then like that junior summer I came back like six foot. And then uh, like that, I hit my growth spurt like real late. So like my whole like recruiting process basically like, took off like that last year. And then at Yale, could you fill us in? You you played a lot of different positions there, and then the decision you had to make during that COVID year um, to maintain your eligibility. Can you kind of walk us through that process? Yeah. So coming in, they told me that uh, that I, they're going to start me a corner, and then I was going to move to safety that next year. So I had knew like coming in, I was already going to play like two positions, like uh, possibly. So and then that's what I did. I came in corner, and then that, uh, that next year uh, they had moved me back to safety. And then we had uh, we had an injury. Um, at a, uh, we called it our viper position. It's like outside linebacker with nickel, like uh, it's like a hybrid position. Um, so we we had an injury there. So but uh, like it was during camp, I think. Um, they had just asked me to come down and play that position, so I just came down and I played there for a season. And then, and then like, it was crazy because, uh, like, the guy who got, got hurt in that position, he came back, and then the, we had an injury in the safety position, so I had moved back to safety, and then, like, we kind of, like, moved back to, like, where we, we originally were, and then I had to finish up the season uh, like that. You know, it's funny. You're one of the few people, I mean, I, Yale folks would be about it, uh, that can legitimately say that Harvard sucks, right? Like anybody else, we kind of have to like give Harvard their due, but you don't have to, right? No, yeah, we we, we ain't allowed to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, I, I wanted to ask you about this, Rodney. You know, you're coming out of Yale, which is obviously you know an incredible academic institution and just a lot of prestige with that. Um, and then you come into the to the NFL. Was there so all of it? I would imagine is kind of new to you. Your head's on a swivel. What player for the Colts, when you got to Indianapolis, who took you under their wing? Who was the person that really helped make you acclimate and feel comfortable? Uh, I would definitely say uh, just just the DB room in general. Like just coming into the DB room, like each one of those guys, like like literally, like I can say each one of them, like each one of those guys, uh, all the guys in the room and stuff. Like, just making sure that, like, making sure we're good, just making sure, like, we know the schedule, just always helping us, just making sure, like, asking if we need anything, just giving us pointers, like, tips, just different things that, like, they do and, like, the different things that they've done, like, to make them successful all the years that they've been in the league. Like, everything that they know, they're making sure that we knew, that that, that we know, like, our, our first year as opposed to them learning it as they've experienced it throughout all the years, so... Like, I'm just real thankful for for everybody in, in the room, just for helping not only me for for uh, for for every rookie that that, uh, that came into the room that year. It's been thrust in. Sorry about that, Rodney. He's been thrust into duty without Julian Blackman. Rodney Thomas II is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, did the back judge from Thursday night? Did he apologize to you after running you over? I guess you probably ran him over. Would be the better way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he came in and apologized, but like it wasn't a big deal. I just. Uh, it was just freak play. Uh, I know, like you didn't like intentionally just try to like be in the way or anything like that. And then after the, uh, I, f- I forget what had happened. I think 
Uh, but after that, after uh, that series, he had came. He had found me on the sideline. He had just said, "I hey, apologize and did things like that." But we just laughed and like just chopped it up or whatever. But uh, it, it was just funny. Now you were uh, you are related to Keith Byers, is that correct? Uh, yes, yeah, correct. Um, it, what relation are you to him? Like di- like close relationship or or distant relation? Uh, close is on my uh, mouth. It's what's that? On my mouth. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but Keith Byers caught the touchdown pass from Dan Marino that made Dan Marino at the time the all-time uh, touchdown leader in NFL passing history and did it against the Colts at the RCA Dome. So that's my little tidbit of knowledge of former Ohio State star Keith Byers and your connection uh-huh. to him in Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I, I did know about the Dan Marino part. I didn't know it was against the Colts. I didn't know that. Yeah, oh yeah. It was right here. Uh, people saw it and were like, oh, okay, cool. Go Colts, right? Um yeah. What was your major at Yale? Uh, political science. Wow, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm currently back in school taking algebra, and it's terrible. Did you have to take algebra, and if so, can you tutor me? Uh, no, I'm uh, I'm at the fine one for that. Rodney's <laughs> 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 a little busy right both. now. Yeah, you and me both. Uh, Rodney, yeah. last, last one for me. I feel like whenever i am you know, been in your guys' locker room, I feel like popular debates are – uh, who's the best basketball player in there, and who's the fastest player on the team? Uh, so if I had to throw out the question of who is the fastest Colts player, let's say going out the track, 100-meter uh, dash, who's winning the 100-meter dash? Yeah, I'm about to take me every time. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> now, what would Isaiah Rogers say? I don't know. I'm still trying to get him to raise me. <laughs> who else would be at the tape with you? Rogers would Paris Campbell? Ashton Doolin? Uh, yeah, Dev, Dev, like, Paris, uh, Tony Brown, like, like, we were all, I remember we all just messed around the camp, like, like, all those guys are, like, super fast, like. Oh, I mean, Jonathan Taylor? Uh, uh, Jonathan Taylor, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely Jonathan Taylor. Hines? I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a bunch of, like, really uh, fast guys. Now, he's real fast. So I'm, like, now I'm trying to thank everybody. Rodney, if, if I were to give you a magic wand, and you could wave it or sprinkle it over one aspect of the Indianapolis Colts right now that would most get your team on the path of where you guys want to be. What area of your team or what discipline of football right now is most holding back Indianapolis? Um, I would just say wave it over. Uh, just everybody just doing their assignment, basically. Because uh, I know uh, we've shown it on film. Uh, when everybody's locked in and then, if we're all just on our key and we can just play the film and just close our eyes and just trust that wherever we're supposed to be on that play we're at, we see that we show up and we make plays on film. So we just got to trust in and uh, lock in and do that every single play, and then uh, the rest will take care of itself. Back from the mini-bye week, the Colts will be on the practice field tomorrow getting ready for a rematch with Jacksonville this Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. Rodney, it's pretty impressive what you've done since you've been called upon without Julian Blackman. Congrats on that. Stay healthy and uh, hope you're enjoying Indianapolis. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you, Bob. That's Rodney Thomas II right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. How great would that have been if he was just like, yeah, the offensive line sucks. <laughs> Look, man, you never know until you take the shot, right? In my 12 years of being inside that locker room, I really think outside of T.Y. Hilton after Jacoby Brissett got sacked 10 times, I cannot recall a lot of public calling out of other position groups. And honestly, I walked out after T.Y. said it that day, and I'm like, I think he's right. Hey, how about how about Zaire Franklin, though, at 
Remember when I asked him? Well, I the mean, same current question? people in the locker room. Carson Wentz no longer in the locker room. Well, but he was. Remember, I said, "What area would you do it?" And he goes, "Probably our receiver room." Oh yeah, he did say that in training camp, didn't he? I was thinking the Wentz question you asked him. Yeah, he, he was not shy about Carson Wentz, right? He was not. Again, thank you to Rodney Thomas II for that. Joe Madden a little bit earlier. Both of those will be up on the podcast. Pop quiz time coming up. 317-239-1070. Pushed it back a little bit to let today with the Rodney Thomas interview. Um, Jiffy Lube, oil change up for grabs here. Give us a call. Pop quiz time next. Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. By the way, before we get to the Pop Quiz, Mark, I would like for you to share with our listening audience what you shared with uh, Kevin and I regarding the Joe Madden interview. Well, the, uh, the lady who set up the interview, uh, she had sent me a copy of the book already. You guys both wanted a copy, so I requested you guys get some. And she said, not a problem. And he said off air that you guys were, quote, excellent broadcasters. Mm-hmm. And Jake wanted that, like, on his voicemail, basically. <laughs> wow. Can you call him and tell him to record that and send it to me? As if I needed to hype up Joe Madden of the Reds even more. Speaking of my voicemail, by the way, for years, my outgoing, and I realize now nobody really uses voicemail because you just text people. But for years, my outgoing message on my voicemail was recorded by Tom Carnegie. And it said, this is Tom Carnegie. You've reached Jake's telephone, but he's not on it. And then I like got like different. Matter of fact, I asked Scotty Johnson at one point. I'm like, "Do we have that somewhere? Because we played it here. I no longer have it." My man. dad loves saying that. It's one of my great, great, great regrets in life if that I didn't. Joe say Joe Madden that. could just endorse my LinkedIn page with that, Mark. If you mind reaching <laughs> back out to her and see. Very bright and excellent broadcaster. Very was, bright. Yes. We don't get that often. No so we've got to take it. Take Ed- it and run. Editing my Twitter profile. It must have been the question speak. about Ghostman on second that <laughs> did it right. <laughs> All right, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. I guess, yeah, the Payless Liquors Hotline. It is time for the pop quiz. Uh, Jake, at number one through eight, a heavy baseball. We shall I guess see. A heavy baseball start for this The pop opportunity quiz. for a Jiffy Lube oil change on the line. We talked about Ghostman on second, so we'll go with number two. Call number two. Tim. What's up, Tim? I'm here. Good morning, guys. <laughs> Tim, good morning. It. Tim, you a baseball fan? I am. Who's your team? Ironically, I'm the only card-carrying member Rays fan in Indianapolis, probably. Really? Well, well, no, my wife is a Rays fan, too, so you got some company. Fighting Trisha Whitakers. That's right. That's all right. That's Sorry, right. Thanks uh, for having Joe on this morning. That was great. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, sorry about that. Uh, gosh, how, how many innings did that game go the other night? 15 or 16? 15. God, that was brutal. How did you become a Rays fan, Tim? Well, when they and the Marlins came into the league, I figured I'm going to live in Florida someday, so I might as well be a fan now. So there you go. All right, cool. Kind of like that. Fair enough. Your favorite Rays player of all time? Um, you know, ironically, it's uh, Wander Franco. I think oh, he's okay. going to be unbelievable going forward. But I really like Carl you know, Crawford. Have you been to a game yeah. there? Um, I've been to one game there, and back to the question, um, Evan Longoria was great too. So. Mm-hmm. It was a great. Player. I always liked Eva Longoria. Oh yeah, <laughs> also great. 
Uh, yeah, all right. You know, he always got the Eva chance there in Yankee Stadium and uh, <laughs> Fenway, too. So, Tim, yeah, would you like ahead. for me, that would be Jake, to lead you off, or would you like for Kevin to give you question number one? Let's go, Jake. All right, here we go. Question number one for you, Tim. The League Division Series get underway today. Major League Baseball, as you know, as a Rays fan, the last two World Series winners, the Braves and Dodgers, both still alive and led by managers Brian uh, Snitker and Dave Roberts. Besides those two, there is one other manager among the remaining playoff teams that has won a World Series as a manager. Name him. Is it Aaron Boone, Bob Melvin, Dusty Baker, or Terry Francona? That would be um, Dusty Baker. How about one more guess, Tim? That was such a brutal loss for the Rays. Uh, Terry Francona. All right. The current manager of the Philadelphia Phillies is who, Tim? Scott Service, Joe Girardi, Rob Thompson, or Gabe Kapler? Can you repeat those real quick? Yes. Scott Service, Joe Girardi, my second grade math teacher, Rob Thompson, or Gabe Kapler? Gabe Kapler was in Welcome Back Cotter, right? Rob Thompson. Okay. Just interim labels came off him. Question number three. Travis Kelsey caught four touchdown passes last night as the Chiefs came from behind to beat the Raiders. Kelsey is just the fourth tight end in NFL history to record four or more touchdown receptions in a game. What tight end who needed a lot of Gatorade after a game in Miami one year holds the record with five touchdown catches by a tight end in a game? Was it Mike Ditka, Kellen Winslow Kellen Sr.? Winslow. <laughs> okay. Tim all over that one. Tim, my Raiders became just the fifth team in NFL history to lose twice after holding at least a 17-point lead within the first five games of a season. One of the other four has done it this season. Name the other team to blow a pair of 17-point leads in 2022. Lions, Ravens, Browns, or Bengals? Ravens. Last question for you, Tim. On this day in 1948, this team won the World Series and has not won a World Series since. It is the longest active championship drought in Major League Baseball currently. It belongs to what franchise? Cleveland. Tim, Tim, Tim. Okay. I mean, I guess a little coaxing early on, but... Question number one. Mark's usually cringing if he feels like things went a little awry. You felt like the integrity was relatively high there? It was okay. It was all right. Terry Francona twice won the Red Sox World Series 2004 and 2007. Yeah, current manager of the Phillies. Yeah, certainly a substitute teacher, Rob Thompson. (laughs) Not to be confused with Welcome Back Cotter's Gabe Kapler. Uh, question number three. He was all over this. I did listen. I did give the hint, but but I mean, he no hesitation. Kellen Winslow Loud Senior and proud. in 1981 had a five touchdown game as a tight end. All right, the other team to blow a pair of 17 point leads in 2022, and they almost blew another double digit lead the other night. That would be the uh, Baltimore see, Ravens. Uh, great though. And the last question, question number five. Four for four, Tim, leading into this one. This was a little easy, Scotty, I thought, for number five. In 1948, this team won the World Series. They currently have the longest active championship drought in Major League Baseball. And it's interesting because they were really, really close. But had they won 
the World Series a few years ago, the team they would have beaten would have continued the longest streak, of course, because the Chicago Cubs defeated the Cleveland Guardians, which is correct. That's a W. Him. That's he won. Gets the oil change from Jimmy Tim, congratulations. I've had like four times since I've worked here. Impressive. Tim, the Carl Crawford, Evan Longoria, Wander Franco, Dick Vitale combination there with the Tampa Bay if Rays. If you've got problems with your nip, uh, your, your, not your nips, <laughs> that's for sure. That was this oh, morning. Oh, God. My nipples is starting. Hey, better in the 7 o'clock hour than 9 o'clock. You that's imagine right. a, a nip slip from Jake with Joe Madden? Okay. Thank you. That would have gone well. So so much for Joe Madden complimenting us after yeah, that the one. Bright, the bright and excellent part would have gone to right suck in your live reads. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got a buddy of mine that got me one of those shirts. He was a, like a he was a scout with the Cubs during that Super Bowl run or Super Bowl run World Series. How about that? He worked for the Cubs for one year and they win the World Series. How many people in that organization wow. do you think look at him and are like, dude? How many people worked there for 71 years? Right. (laughs) Never even snipped. Joe Madden's secretary is like, do you know how long I've been here? (laughs) That's pretty awesome. Uh, If you missed it, Joe Madden on the podcast, uh, along with Rodney Thomas II, Colts safety. The Colts have the day off. Uh, Pacers preseason home opener is tomorrow, so that'll be hosting the Knicks. They'll be home again on Friday. I think it's the Rockets, if I'm not mistaken, to round out their four-game preseason slate. Everybody enjoy the weather today. It looks like a nice day in Indianapolis. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 7.